looking at you, kid. I'm Charles Foster Kane! Hey, Stella! Suck on this. So let's throw down. What is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real episode 479's podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And today we're tackling the New York Film Festival, specifically Martin Scorsese's new movie, The Irishman. And for your listening pleasure, I've got Marcus Penn and Rob Cotto, who, at least initially, are going to offer their spoiler-free reactions, and then we'll give you fair warning, and then we'll dive into the uh, the meat of this remarkable movie. But, fellas, welcome back to Wrong Real. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having and me, too. And I don't think any of us have touched our scotch yet. I just poured oh. a bunch of glasses of McAllen, so cheers, fella. Get a cheers. little ching-ching in the, uh, the microphones. Delicious. Drink a little McAllen 12, which was a gift from Bill Oh, I thought Tech. we were killing oh, it. Oh, my oh, bad. I thought we were killing it. <laughs> I have some more. I have, I have another. <laughs> you can have as much as you yeah. want. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's down this now together. All right, Catch up with Marcus. We'll, just want right. to make sure we're on the same wavelength. Nice. Yeah, That's smooth. Watch. It doesn't really... Mm. Not, it's not a shot. It's, much, a, yeah. it's a sipping whiskey. Okay, I'll sip this next one yeah. slow. <laughs> but, fair that, but, but I'm a big fan of not letting anybody in the room have a better buzz than I do. So All right, awesome. If people are shooting heroin, even though I don't use heroin, I'm going to shoot heroin because... I, I get a little jealous if I feel like somebody's having more fun than I am. So, oh, if we're just oh, real heroin. quick, speaking of heroin, please see the souvenir because it's one of the best movies of the year. That was a nice, uh, very nice. Speaking of heroin, heroin, go see Pain and Glory. It's one of the best movies of the year. Oh wow! Oh, okay. the Pedro Almodovar. Yes, yes, I saw it yesterday. It I had a ticket and I skipped it for some reason. I don't know why, but um, and I skipped the press screening, so now I'm feeling a little silly. Do you have an uncut gems ticket? I didn't even know it was playing at the I festival. Was at, before you got here, I was had, asking if had it they, was Had playing. they added it? Uh, no, they added it as a special event. Oh. Uh. It was their secret screening, oh, and that's now it's that, a special event. Oh, everyone was tweeting about that. It was yeah. Good. Gotcha. Of course, I wasn't near my computer or my phone when they announced it, and the tickets went on sale. So if there's anybody out it, there who has tickets it. to get rid of, I will take either night for Uncut Gems. I'm well, in. I hope they will sneak in a little press screening, because this is the first year where I actually got press credentials for the festival. Nice. And it wasn't that hard. I was actually sent them the podcast I did with you guys last year, just to show that I do cover it. And I was like, I'm going to cover it whether you give me credentials or not, but it's up to you guys. And so they, they let me... let me. Nice. They should have gave us I, a deal. I, 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 if you can see Uncut Gems, please see it, because it's, it's, it's worth it. All um, right. From... The star from Adam Sandler down to from to Eric Bogosian and Kevin Garnett all make that movie. I'm I'm telling you, it, it's a great movie. Well, Marcus was at Toronto and he's basically got a, like a couple month head start on like the rest of the planet in terms of all the movies that are about to come out over the next few months. But and here. any uh, any giant highlights that you want to give a shout out to from Toronto before we start shifting gears into, into sure. New York? And actually, I think these some of these are movies that aren't even playing at, at New York Film Festival, but uh, Hidden Life. That's one of my favorite movies of, of the, the year. Malick, yeah. Highlight of t- my favorite movie from TIFF. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Um, Uncut Gems, like I just said. And you know what? Let me, uh, this movie. Uh, oh, Atlantiques, directed by Mighty Diop. Which is playing um, at the New York Film Festival. And it's going to be on Netflix. You, oh, text, yeah. you right, texted right, right, right. me saying that you thought um, Jojo Rabbit was a, one of your top five of the year. It, and and it's still, it, I think it still is. I always do a top ten, but it, it, it it's in my top five. And uh, this smaller film... It, that's getting a little bit of, uh, it's getting some pickup. This movie called The Lost Okoroshi. Uh, it's this guy. He's kind of a Tiff darling. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he, he directed a film a couple years ago called Green, White, Green. But his new movie, Lost Okoroshi, the best way to describe it is it's a Nollywood film with a really good camera. 
So it's a nice ju- juxtaposition in that if anyone's familiar with not Nollywood films, like it, p- people have to get creative because the budget's not there. So this is so this is a movie. It's like part superhero, part spiritual, a touch of horror movie uh, kind of film. It's all it, it, it's funny too. Um, it's just a lot of things in one. It's like a real. It's it's the most fun I've had. Not just that tiff, but it's the most fun I've had in a movie theater this year. Period. Very cool. Um, and I think with with I, I think it's gonna get picked up somehow. It'll probably get. And we're in New York City. It'll probably play at like, uh, uh an IFC center or, or something like well, that. Well, speaking of so, Jojo yeah. Rabbit, the internet's always a, a very silly place. So it's fun to kind of laugh at. But Especially it seems for like Jojo Rabbit. But Jojo Rabbit and Joker both have excited a lot of controversy and think pieces from people who have not seen the movies. Exactly. And I feel like there's no bigger waste of time and no more obvious example of clickbait than people banging their hand on the table in outrage right. over movies that they have not seen. Right. So just as somebody who has seen Jojo Rabbit, um, is there anything to get excited about or is it just like the, the fun heartwarming comedy that it appears to it's be? It's the fun heartwarming comedy that it appears to be. And as far as like the Hitler Nazi angle, it's nothing more than, I mean, it literally actually, the movies I'm about to list clearly rubbed off on Jojo Rabbit, but it's all like great dictator to the tin drum so it's like if nobody had a problem with those movies you should never problem Although with tin Jojo drum Rabbit did get confiscated from a lot of people's homes in the south when they heard about oh. what they thought was a child like sex scene because of the the small right. person in it getting on True. with his, his well nanny. there's nothing well if that's well there's nothing like <laughs> they, that in they this got movie for sexual the reasons. only thing that's bothering people is kind of like the Hitler angle and also I guess that it's like there's not a lot of German actors in it or whatever but yeah, all, there, yeah there's nothing there. about that yeah. there's nothing sexual in this movie at all so if that's the case then 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 then, then it's fine but it's like people who obviously have never heard of Ernst Lubitsch's to be or not to be or the fact that Mel Brooks made the producers like making fun of Nazis is as old as the Nazi party itself and it's, yes it just, and that's all it does that's yeah. the thing like it's not like hey be a Nazi it's like hey look at these idiots like let's make fun oh, of them like, like well, I, don't I don't you understand. realize you're normalizing Nazis by making them seem funny it's like Go away. Yeah, exactly. Go away is the, the best response. See, even what, what did Crib say too? Because me and Crib saw it together. Just even just like um, the the producers. Like it's no di- like I, I don't yeah, know. One of the funniest movies ever made. Maybe and, the funniest movie ever made. I think. I mean, the producers. Every time I see it, I shit my pants. Speaking and speaking of movies that people have opinion on and haven't seen, a uh, uh, guest uh, our, we were just talking about him. Our, our buddy Carlo sent me a text. So it looked like uh, American Dharma has a release date, uh, November 1st. Gotcha. So that's really awesome. I'm, I'm really excited it's about that. It's taken a good long time. Yeah. Going back to the whole normalization thing, but it's like documentary filmmakers are not normalizing shit by making a documentary. Like if you make a documentary about the Holocaust, you're not normalizing the Holocaust. Like you're making a documentary about the subject of the Holocaust. He's also made... <laughs> Documentaries that focused on worse people than Steve Bannon. And let me, I, I'll insert my own opinion. Steve Bannon is a terrible human being, but Errol Morris has made movies about worse people than him. So, although, and also, I, I get, you know, we, we shouldn't run on validation, but every once in a while it's nice to get it. And every few months, I get these little uh, notifications on Twitter or something that Errol Morris has once again retweeted my uh, review, my quick little review of uh, Very cool. uh, American Dharma from last year, which means so if the director tweeted it, like that's kind of all the validation I need to, to, to some degree. He's the best documentary filmmaker of the last 40 yeah, years. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that's, exactly. <laughs> that's my attitude. So. Exactly. Yeah. Mr. Cotto, what have you been up to as of late? Besides doing cartwheels and handstands over the fact that we have a three and a half hour Scorsese movie to discuss. Uh, I was doing cartwheels and handstands over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for about a good month. So was I. I loved it. Yeah, it was um, 
It's funny. It was it was and very similar to this. This and movie that we're going to talk the door about being the highest grossing movie Tarantino's ever made. It's like, like I think it's like sixty five million behind Django, but it's about to open in China. And the question is, will China show up at all, or will China show up in droves? Or no, they're going to show up. Yeah, they're but, be but, there. but it's just hard to know oh. because they show up for Marvel. Tarantino's a, a different proposition. So. Yeah, but I think that you know Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt really really hooked that whole thing together. You know, because if you look at the Hayfield, Hayfield didn't do anywhere near the kind of business that this movie made. Now, granted. Two totally different movies, two totally different scopes. The thing about Quentin's movie was, and very much like like the movie that we're going to talk about, um, was such a departure for Quentin. Yet it was so authentically Tarantino that that I just I just fell in love with it. It was it was really one of those one of those movie going experiences that I hadn't had in a really really long time. And it's been kind of yeah. hard to talk about. Live action remakes of Aladdin don't cut it if you're a movie lover. Right. You need and, actual movies to sink your teeth and into. You know, <laughs> and, it's, and it's been hard to talk about it with other people because, you know, friends of ours and, and whatever, you know, they, they've dismissed Tarantino a long time ago. But in a way... There's, there's one of those guys to your left. Right? One, <laughs> well, I really haven't talked, but it's don't true. Shucks. No, but it's true. I do see all of his movies event. No, no, I also no. want to clear my name. Real, I'll be super quick. From Reservoir Dogs through most of Kill Bill 2, I do love Tarantino. Ever since then, he's been going slowly downhill. Okay. Also, I mean, you can't be from Amherst and not love, like, iconic Uma Thurman roles. Also, it's more of a personal thing and things he says versus, like, his actual movies. No, 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 no. And like, listen. I just... Because so, a lot of people sometimes will DM me or question me. It's just, let me just, you know. But go well, ahead. But I'm going to cut he you off. He makes it very easy to hate him because yeah, he, he can be abrasive. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I will. But to, yeah, it, 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 I wasn't throwing shots, but it is true. It's oh, so one of my best friends here, and he'll tell you I've barely spoken to him about the movie. But I, <laughs> you've got you've you I, said I, I should see it. I, I'll see it. I can't. Not, a week ago, I, I said it to him a week ago. The movie came out it. at the end of July. He still hasn't seen it yet, and I hadn't talked to him about it until last week. And I already seen the damn thing three times. So it well, was. Yeah. I for me, Tarantino movies are waves of pleasure. But I get it for some people. They are a chore because they just they dislike Tarantino. Now and 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 I, after seeing this movie, I couldn't agree with you more about your stance. But I would even take it a step back and say that this is his best film since Jackie Brown. Uh, it, huh. In a way, it's well. LA, br- LA made, brings something out in them. Yeah. But in a way, okay. if he had, if he had made Jackie Brown and his next movie was this, it would have been. It, it almost seemed like the likely next movie like in the, the way, LA Quartet. The, well, the LA Quartet, but also just the maturity of it all, and really him not trying to be so flashy, so bloody, so violent, so so subversive. You know, he didn't have to be. He this. I feel that this movie really came from a very deep, nostalgic place, and it was so heartfelt and so sincere. And there were some incredible on, um, needle drops in this thing that only last less than a less than a minute. And I, I, I was part of the reason that I went back. The third time was because there's this sequence when Brad Pitt is driving through L.A. blasting his radio to Joe Cocker's The Letter. And I think it's just the greatest needle drop I've ever heard. And it's the one thing that, like, I keep thinking about and thinking about. And it does nothing to drive the movie. It does nothing to drive the story. But it's just this feeling. And there's a lot of feeling missing from movies. And I felt that there was a real lot of feeling 
in that movie. So it's funny. I, 2019's turning into a year like Tarantino and Scorsese were big parts of like my, my high school and college yeah, experience. Same. And so 2019's like this like high. weird yeah, year. Like we're at age 43. My my teenage idols and heroes are making big movies. So. And if you and it, listen, and if you're in the show business, if you're in the nostalgia, if you're in the Hollywood, and if you're into just Good. If you're, if you're into good. watching Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio murder bloodthirsty hippies, <laughs> it's got the best well, right. murdering bloodthirsty hippie scene and, ever. And, <laughs> and I'm willing to argue that that movie would have been great had that not been in it, and that every well, I need I need that scene. I need that scene. That scene. I would have taken an entire movie about life in Hollywood during that time, life in the studio system, life as an actor, life as a stuntman, that whole thing. I would have taken all that for the two hours and 40 minutes. I didn't need any of that, that carnage that, that happens at the end of the movie. But I love it. It was great. It was funny. It was entertaining. It it, it was definitive. You know, it was Quentin. Yeah, that dog. I, I need that dog. I want yeah. I, I no, no, no. to hug and kiss so, the dog. So for me, you know, that... That was a movie that I don't know. I just and I wasn't expecting it to be that way. I wasn't expecting to feel that way. I was waiting for just be like whatever. And then when he went and slagged PTA in the news, I was like, all right, well, you know what? You made a great movie, but you don't have to go out there and be an asshole and call out PTA about um, the director. He made that comment about how Burt Reynolds was inspired by a certain filmmaker, a certain porn director. But they still getting along. Like they, PTA, no, they're best friends. Yeah, PTA interviewed him about the movie. It's like he has a like. To shit on David Lynch the way he did Wild right. at Heart specifically, but then you wrote True Romance, and it's like, are you ju- like, no, right? Are you kidding? You you hate True Ro- like you wrote really? True Romance, but you hate Wild at Heart. It's I'm not gonna say it's the same movie, but stop it. But they're the he's gonna band. sit there and yeah. go, yeah. he's gonna sit there and go, yeah, I love There Will Be Blood, but Boogie Nights is the best movie he's ever made, and then go and critique Boogie Nights. I was like, wait a minute, stop. You're chasing, and and that's my other. That's my negative opinion about Which, about Quentin. He's been chasing PTA ever since Boogie Nights. And if you look at the filmography side by side, you can see it. I guarantee you that you PTA, know. Quentin's next movie, is going to be a, a period piece in London because, <laughs> you well, know. Well, that already happened with Jim Jarmusch. You go movie for movie from Down by Law to Reservoir Dogs, Mystery Train to Pulp Fiction, Ghost Dog to Kill Bill. But this is who he feels he has to compete with now. Now, I get, yeah, I, I guess that's true. Competition now. is healthy. Iron I agree iron. too. But I, I agree. Think, but it's like I love rivalries between filmmakers because it of makes course. all of them try between hard. Anyone, but it's athletes, not a rivalry, musicians. Twitter, I think it's great when and it can film Twitter and people are competing for likes and retweets and that sort of thing. And podcasts, I think it's healthy when everybody's competing for listens and downloads. Competition drives you to greater heights, and the fact that. Tarantino feels so threatened by other filmmakers, it definitely gives him additional motivation. He like feels for, threatened for you, by For PTA. you side-by-side lovers, just so you know, whether through text or DM, me and Kessler all the time are texting or DMing, like, hey, have you done this yet? Or like, hey, I searched, it didn't come up. Like, we, just so you know, like, well, Mar- I mean, and Martin's a personal friend, so again, One of my favorite hobbies is looking at your daily debates with people who get really oh, irritated by side by side like these have nothing to do with it people get like seriously undone and they, upset. they, they really do <laughs> and it's not and that's and and because and uh f- another personal friend of mine funderberg chris Fund, former guest of the show will always be like hey you need to stop arguing with you and he's right but just so but everyone knows you're having, fun, you're having fun with it as well because arguing am, with an idiot is a great way to let off a little steam but my also it's not that people disagree and say i'm reach if you said fine it's like that which it's like how upset they get. I'm like, I want to explore it. Like you're really that mad or just, or also it's like, 
you're also telling on yourself because it's like the movie I'm comparing it to, like the filmmaker said, like, no, this in, in, inspired me. So it's like you're jumping in the gun. But anyway, let's let, 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 let's not get anyway, too sidetracked. I, I enjoy I get too sidetracked. a little drama online so and a little shit talking. So and your feed always provides some of that. So, so yeah. do I. So do I. So <laughs> yeah, do no, I. well, you should see our our, our private conversations, oh, though, yeah. about, yep. about some of these, you know, yeah. these film versions. I, I do. You yeah, know. that's the best way to. And, you know, but. That being said, no. So I was really, I was really quite taken by that. I will also say, though, I agree with Marcus. I think the souvenir is one of the best movies of the year. Out of um, nowhere, like out of nowhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a quiet, it's a quietly great film. Um, exec produced by Martin Scorsese as well, and he confirmed the other day that Souvenir Part Two is in the can. Will be so coming weird. out next yeah. year. Does Scorsese have a producer credit on Joker? Yes, he. D- I think he does. I remember he, he was. Did. I remember. I, I thought there was a was, but maybe not. I He's think still. he he was in on it, and then he may have had the. Well, for had people who want to know about that movie, Grant, it comes out in a couple of days, but Marcus has seen it. He saw it at Toronto. Yeah, and- check out. It's actually doing really good numbers. Check out my review of it. Uh, as of now, well, I didn't read your review. Sorry. Yeah. It, oh, it's also spoiler free. Um, but by the time this podcast comes out, uh, some of my October content will be out, but Joker still one of the top, you know, new things to read. So yeah, please check it out. All my, that, the lighthouse, uh, zombie child. I, I wrote about a few things it that kills I saw. Me that the lighthouse and Jojo rabbit are coming on the same day. I'm like, you're not like, we have so That's many a weekends. Fun double feature. See, the, see the lighthouse first. Yeah. But like, we have so many weekends where rabbit. nothing's coming out. It's like, don't have two cool movies coming I, out on the same yeah, goddamn day. Like, I agree. Spread them out. Yeah. yeah. But I guess but, it's a uh, good, it's a good problem to have when you're yeah. complaining about too many good movies coming out. And those are two good movies to see. Those are yeah. two good movies to see. Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit. Well, speaking of good movies, Frank Sheeran. Is that right? Yeah, you said right. Uh, under the contract, management can only fire a driver on very specific charges. So, you ever show up late? No. Do you have any moving violations? No. Do you drink on the job? No. Do you ever hit anybody? On a job? Yeah. I don't think so. All right, then. We don't have nothing to worry about. But now I'm a man. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. I'm a man. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. Get the gun out of his hand! You always charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. Hiya, Frank. Would you like to be a part of history? Yes, I would. Big business and the government are working together, trying to pull us apart. Something's got to be done. What else you say? Now's not the time to not say. I'm a natural lover. We're going to war with these people. War. Things have gotten out of hand with our friend. You gotta sit down, everybody says so. No, I'm not sitting down, I can't do it. It's what it is. What it is. I know things they don't know I know. Either way, he's going. You know, I don't, uh, I don't care whether you did it or not. 
That makes no difference to me. Yeah, I know. I'm here to defend you, right? Right. What do you want to know? You want to know if I did it or not? No. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit, spoiler-free, about the Irishman. Yes. For people who don't know, Cato, he likes Scorsese a little bit. He, Tiny, he's, a little, he's little been, bit. He's been known to say some positive <laughs> things about Scorsese's movies. Oh, no, 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 a little, no, little, 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 little bit. bit. So, little bit, little bit. I'm going to turn over the, the floor to you and just let you go berserk because I know that you saw the, the introduction by the cast and crew and you also saw like the uh, the press conference online and you obviously got to see the movie two days ago and I know you're still but you texted me like at 11.30 afterwards like I'm ready to record right now and I was like alright well I was like, on my way over <laughs> I was like well maybe maybe we should get prepared and so on and so forth but here we are the floor is yours Irishman go you know what I'm just gonna say what I what I tweeted and I really feel that this is the truth and um that's the double truth, Ruth. <laughs> Triple Ruth. I I feel like this is the the love child of Goodfellas and Silence, and you know, for a long time uh, I have been I have been saying that uh, Marty should go back to making movies about people his own age, and he did that here, and he did that to incredible results results that. I, I wasn't even expecting, even as a massive fan who's willing to forgive him for any little thing that he does. and Because <laughs> and, 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 it's true. I mean, listen, we could be critics and whatever. Well, last time you hear, you were going berserk, like, he's, he's going to have to recast it. He's going to have to reshoot. No, and, and it's true, because, but if you listen to that A24 podcast, you heard the worry in his voice. like, And I never heard him hmm. even talk about movies that he was working on while he was working on them before they came out and with everybody talking and, and even just seeing what this digital de-aging process has looked like up until this point, he was nervous. I was nervous. We were all nervous and everybody thought that it was just hokey. And I even had friends of mine that said, well, look at this guy just going for the money and just, you know, $175 million budget and they're going to blow all this money and it's not even going to look real. And, and, you know, this is spoiler free, but I'm just going to say this right off the top. It's 98% perfect. If you notice it and you nitpick on it, you know what? Then you just really don't like movies. It's just as sure. It's it just as good. it's just as meaningful or meaningless as actors who use makeup to either make themselves look older or younger, or make themselves a man into yeah. a woman or a woman into a man. Charles Foster Kane, you see him at a variety of ages, and it's Orson Welles playing it and, at all these different ages. But and, makeup and, 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 and some of that makeup too. looks faker yeah. than what they accomplished here, and it really is truly. On a, on a technical level, on a visual effects level, it is a massive accomplishment. It could extend the careers of all of these legends in a way, which I think is part of the reason why they do it. Although at 76, De Niro doesn't quite throw a kick and a punch like he used to. So uh, I was trying to avoid saying it. Like the yeah. scene when when, like, oh, when he goes to the yeah. grocery store to handle something, he definitely looks a little decrepit when he's... I was like, oh, you could have... He's a little stiff. But yeah. I also think... <laughs> yeah. But you know, now I'm going to defend that. Because I know that that's been a point of contention for people about it, but we also have to take into because we account- see him in Raging Bull, we've seen him when he looks glistening and beautiful. You know, sure, yeah. but we also have to take into account that the real Frank Sheeran was six two. He was a big man, and they, you know, big bigger men move slower and f- different than that. Different than the way Not that our basketball uh, players they move like ballet dancers, white men, <laughs> white men, bigger white men. 
move differently than 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 someone of De Niro's original size. I'm triggered. You know, <laughs> right? But either way, I'm willing to I'm willing to overlook that. I'm willing to overlook little little imperfections because, like I said, you stop noticing very quickly. Like the first few minutes, I was actively looking to see if it's working or not. But I think if you just sit back and relax, you'll stop noticing the de-aging very quickly. Well, and I also think that the movie, that it helps the movie opening with a much, much older guy. Yeah, they're aging him up. They're aging him up. Yeah. 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 And I think that that helps, that helps you get it. Get acquainted with it. And you make comfortable with to it. To cut into... They did it in... So, like, whenever there was, like... Because there was a couple, like, physical altercations with, like, Al Pacino. They just immediately cut away and do, like, a long shot. Because it's probably some stunt guy rolling around on the floor. Right. You know, Stephen Graham. So, they so they do a little... Tri- which is what, since the beginning of time, from silent film to whatever, there's always these little tricks and stuff that make it yeah, Pacino's make 79 it work. years old. Like, He's not going to roll around on the floor. No. no. <laughs> he might, though. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think... Phys- I don't know if he really... Well, could. Yeah, well, I don't at 43, know I don't want to roll around the floor. I think it's yeah. obvious. From the prison scene to the meeting he had later, like oh, right, right, both right. times the camera pans away, like no, cuts right, you away. Don't from, see his it's you don't it's see someone his else. It's totally someone else. I don't think he could. I mean, I, I I hurt my neck now, like if I get in the shower and it's like a cold day and the water's warm and I like involuntarily flinch. I'm like, oh, then my neck's fucked for like six days. I can only imagine yeah. what it's going to be like in like 35 fucking years. No, right. And you know, you're silencing because I had, like I had said on Twitter, everyone's got their take. And I think my take pretty much lines up with you. I was like, I think Martin Scorsese made his Inland Empire in that just like what Inland Empire, it's like he made Lost Highway, he made Mulholland Drive and, you know, minus, you know, the straight story. So for a few years, he'd been making a variation of the same movie. But then with Inland Empire, he made the movie. LA sagas. Yeah. Yeah. He made and Inland Inland Empire is Southern California also when it deals with Hollywood. But then he just went above and beyond. He took the two movies that at the time he was most famous for, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, and then just extended it and almost made it the anti, or air quote anti, just like this. It's like Goodfellas Casino, which are not short movies either, but then he just extended it and then we got into the age. We'll, we'll get into that in, in to, to, to later on, but it's just like, it's just my way of like he made his, his epic. And Basically. I like Another how it's epic. not romantic. Like Goodfellas is one of the most romantic movies I've ever seen where it's so seductive and you want to join that world and people just scream like, I want to be a gangster and while they're watching it. And you forget these people are really fucked up. Yeah. Whereas like in this movie, it's just like, oh, I don't, It's you make me laugh and you tickle me, yeah. but I don't want to be like you. I, I yeah. don't want to. It I feels wanna... very grounded, yeah. but it's still epic in scope and it's still yeah. incredibly ambitious, but it doesn't try to lure you in to be a part of that world, yeah. which I thought was an interesting change because even like Mean Streets, which is just like you know kind of scrubs like you know ripping off kids that are looking to buy firecrackers yeah. like even that is still inviting it's still very fun and charismatic yeah. and everything yeah. and it was interesting seeing him it's funny how it's it is funny and it's i mean i was laughing throughout most of this movie A but i but i don't want to join this world same same but also the laughter stopped the last 40 minutes just like from he just he cut a lot of the music everything and you're just like oh man like just from from prison on although every time just, Pacino oh. mentions punctuality I was laughing like sure, that, sure. that shit that shit was making brilliant. me laugh sure. Sure. <laughs> brilliant sure well and, and and I also think that in like comparing it to Quentin before being completely self referential I mean even the opening shot to the Irishman is completely self self referential to the steady cam shot at Goodfellas except we're not. Going into the Copa, we're going to visit somebody in a nursing home. Yeah. And I thought that that juxtaposition right It's off, a wink to his fans, yeah. Yeah, it was... Yeah. But even... There's so many winks to the fans 
throughout this entire movie, between the movies that he made with De Niro, between movies De Niro made outside of it, and between, you know, and then having this this whole new aspect of Al Pacino in, in the movie. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a nod to the last um forty seven years of making of, of, of movies. From the Godfather all the way on up. Um yeah, I could sit here and just talk about just which, which is why and to clear up like why I'm such a stickler for the Harvey Keitel aspect, you know, of this movie. Because when this movie, just, you know, so people know, I've been like, oh, Harvey Keitel's in it too. Don't leave him out. He's, you know, not as prominent as, you know, Pacino, Joe Pesci, and, and, and De Niro. Who was there first? Who's that knocking he at was. my door? And, yeah. and that's my thing, because all the all the big platforms talk about this is, it's not, to some degree, they're almost talking like this is going to be Martin Scorsese's last movie. Like, that's how a lot of these, the press and these reviews read. It's like, no, he's still got other stuff cooking. But everyone's using this culmination, culmination. It's this buildup of like, you know... Joe Pesci did. It's like, but Harvey Keitel was day one, and and I get, I he's my he's as far as male actor, he's my favorite male actor. He's one of my dad's favorite actors too. So there's that kind of nostalgia to it, and I understand if you had to. I hate saying this, but to rank them, yes, he's not even a Joe Pesci who hasn't been act. Who's you know he's only done a couple movies in the last decade. Like The Good Shepherd was like the last thing that he really did. And he's only oh, no, well, there's that boxing minutes. movie he yeah. did with uh, Helen Mirren that which was it was supposed Love to be his comeback. God, that movie was terrible. But it's like, you know, you got Pacino, De Niro, I, I get it. But Harvey Keitel, he's also Academy Award nominated. And when the early teasers came out, he was one of the four names listed. And I get it. This is the first time Pacino and Scorsese, and, and there's also an Italian-American aspect to it. Harvey Keitel's not, to some people's surprise, he's not Italian-American. Also, Robert he's De Niro's not, not that Italian-American either. Robert De Niro's more Irish. Yeah, exactly. He, is. he rarely plays <laughs> an Italian-American Italian. in a Scorsese. He's, he's half Irish in Goodfellas. He's Irish here. Well, he's, he's Irish Jewish in, in casinos. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, he's you know. Robert De Niro is only. Listen, folks. Robert De Niro is only more Italian in name. He's Irish. <laughs> I've been fighting with people online about it. It's just you know. Well, he's an Italian American. I'm offended. He's an Italian American icon. Like no, right? Yeah. Because his name ends in a vowel. I know it has a D E. And like, the movies he's done, like the, our, you know. No, but he, but yeah, sure. There's Italians surrounding him, but he's yeah. rarely playing one. True. Well, yeah. so it's like, what's the name of the actor who's Puerto Rican, but who always plays an Italian? Victor Argo. Yeah, yeah, he's in like a every Scorsese, Scorsese regular. Movie, yeah. But he is he's Puerto 100% Rican. Hundred percent Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah, but Harvey he, Keitel's best friend, by the way. Yeah, but, he, yeah. he's so good. But yeah, obviously he runs the uh, the bodega and Taxi Driver, and yeah. he's he's been in a million movies. But yeah. Yeah. speaks Spanish in that though. Yeah, he does speak Spanish does. in Taxi Driver. Oh, that's true. That. That is true. All right. Well, then that, this yeah. is a spoiler-free section. Mr. Kato, walk us through the presentation or the who introduced it and who spoke after. Like, give, okay, give us that so, experience. Okay. Um, so, opening date to New York Film Festival was Friday, September twenty-seventh, and it was actually really early this year. They screened it. They the first well, the screening at Alice Tully Hall started at three o'clock. Yeah. I'm going to shout out Richard Brody right now. So Richard Brody from the New Yorker sat next to me at the three o'clock screening. Of Adam Shartoff sat a few seats down from me at uh, the the press screening. Oh, well, friend, shout out friend, to Adam. Yeah, friend of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks. Now I can't tweet this to freaking Richard Brody because you just ma- named him or manned him or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, whatever, it doesn't matter. Either Sorry. way, um, Richard Brody sat next to me and I introduced myself to him and he said, "I said to him, I said, how come you weren't at the nine o'clock?" And he said, "Well, if you had a choice between." going to a nine o'clock movie and a three o'clock movie, what choice would you make? And I was like, fair enough. 
me, I would have been here at nine o'clock. But you're you unless know. you're racing the embargo because the embargo ended at eight, and I was like, ooh, I'm gonna be tired getting up and like getting in line right. early as fucking hell because the the journalists were out there lined down the block at like seven thirty. Were like, you right in front? I would for whatever reason they were like the the, the press screens were not like half full. They did they didn't hand out that many badges this year, and so uh-huh. it, was, it was very easy to sit where the where, where the hell you wanted. So nice. I sat front row on the far left, so I could like stretch out, and I wanted to be close for a pick and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, you did grab a nice. Yeah, so the only other way. critics I recognize are Grace Randolph, who's a very controversial YouTube uh, figure here of just beyond the trailer. She was there, but I, I didn't recognize anybody else who was there. Yeah. at the screening. Yeah, well, shout out to Adam, who I know gave. Gave it an exemplary it review. Yeah, yeah, call it a masterpiece. Well, I call it a masterpiece too. It's it really truly is one. Yeah, um, the, the, but the press conference is cool. Like we obviously they brought two producers and then they have Pesci, Pacino, and De Niro. De Niro barely spoke. But that's he, his mo. Yeah, he, it's hard. It's like prime words. And Joe Pesci really didn't speak. He said no. He just wouldn't talk. But it was kind of funny the way he did it. Pacino, though, it was like he'd had his espresso and was ready to just go berserk and laugh and tell stories. He's 79 years old, with full of energy. And, of course, Scorsese, you ask him half a question, he'll talk for 30 minutes. So yeah. Scorsese, yeah. He, he's, yeah. he's not shy. Yeah, no. And it's funny. I've listened to him lately, and I actually went to see him at the Saturday in Cinema thing at New York Film Festival where he showed clips from movies that he really likes and likes things in which he showed a clip from Hereditary. That scene with... Um, Tony Collette and her son and Gabriel Byrne at the, oh, at the dinner table, at the dinner table. Oh, sure. screaming yeah. screaming that whole thing and she gives such R- tour de force performance yeah and Ari Aster sitting in the audience of this thing had no idea that Scorsese was gonna oh, well. show this clip <laughs> oh that's gotta be yeah, great yeah no that's gotta be really cool and they talked about Midsommar which I haven't seen is that how you say it Midsommar Midsommar, Midsommar. I, yeah Skull. I didn't see it. Did you see it? I fucking loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah so good. I haven't seen it yet. It's yeah, a fun movie. movie. Yeah. It's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah. I hear there's a, I hear there's like tons and tons of screaming in it and I can't watch it at home. That's what I saw. <laughs> not tons. I mean, it, in parts, not like nah, I know finish. nothing about it. So. Oh, I guess there are some... Yeah, but see it. It's, no, 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 I really want to know I have it. It's, on, my, it. it's yeah. on the top of my list. It's, it's just, you know... I mean, that sex scene at the end, I laughed my Dick off. Yeah. I mean, it oh, was, all right, all right. I haven't yeah. seen it. I don't know anything about it. Anyway, um, but so actually, actually, so opening op- so opening day at three o'clock was actually really special because they had and I, and her name escapes me, but they had a, a lady who has been working at the Film Society at Lincoln Center now film at Lincoln Center um, for over fifty years who opened up. You know the events of the day, and started talking about Scorsese as a young um, film educator at NYU who would come to the Film Society, and they would send him out to schools in the New York City area to lecture about film. And she was talking about how he was this young, ambitious, you know, go-getter who really just had this passion for film, and um, you know how wonderful it was to. You know, to present this movie and to be there today and to have watched Marty grow into, you know, the greatest filmmaker, you know, of his time. And after she walked off the stage, Ken Jones came out. Now, for those of you that don't know, Ken Jones, who's the director of the New York Film Festival, and it's his last year. Um, but he's also directed movies like Hitchcock, Truffaut, and things like that. And, and he Di- wrote uh, Jimmy P. And, the, uh... and, and Diane, which... Uh, thank you, Bill Scurry, for really pointing that one out because I think that movie's going to wind up on my best of the year list. It re- Mary Kay Place gives a tour de force performance in this movie. 
Um, Diane, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's on Hulu. You could check it out. Anyway, okay. so Ken Jones came out and you know gave his little preamble. And this is also his last year as director of the New York Film Festival. He succeeded Richard Pena seven years ago. And now he's going to probably focus on, on making films, considering the success he had with the Hitchcock doc and in this Diane. But... He came out and he said, you know, it's hard for me to... He did his little preamble, you know, thank the members, the patrons, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, he said, you know, he came out and I'm paraphrasing. He's like, you know, it's really hard for me to be objective about, you know, the movie that you're about to see. But it's by one of our greatest artists and I'm going to bring him out. And they brought they brought Marty out and he started to introduce the cast. And one by one, you know, these guys walked out and everybody, you know, Jesse Plemons... Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, who is quite awesome, is crazy Norton, Joe Gallo. Was Jim Norton there? Jim Norton wasn't there, but Action Jackson Bronson. was, Bronson. or Action, Action Bronson, Bronson. Yeah. Charles Bronson, Action Jackson, whatever. Yeah. Action Bronson was the first person he brought out. Of course, he's, you know, I saw him pull up in front of Alice Tully Hall, and he was, you know, wearing a dirty black shirt and some, like, mesh shorts and he walked in and he just you know i was like i can't believe that this this, this is really how you're gonna show up to new york film That's festival always does it. Yeah, i know but, thing. but yeah. it's like but it's like in the irish you show up to a meeting not wearing pants you're wearing shorts like that was spoilers exactly... oh shit fair enough yeah. well yeah. whatever <laughs> so, eh. but it's true you know how do you show up to lincoln center in shorts like i didn't i was in a jacket now, if you're, if you're over thing. the age of eight if you're not at the gym or not the beach don't wear shorts correct yeah you know or like they said in the sopranos the don doesn't wear shorts anyway um so action bronson came out you know ray romano came out anna paquin came out and she, yeah and she was wearing these four inch platform heels that she couldn't walk in and you watched her stumble across the stage and people like gasped like oh my god oh my god again and when she finally caught herself like when she finally stumbled for the third time there was like a real honest to goodness chuckle in the audience yeah, and it's like put on him. some goddamn sneakers and no oh, right <laughs> and, yeah. you know and then when you know and Marty was very um he didn't, he didn't, you know, when he introduced each person, he was just very matter of fact. He's like, Action Bronson, Anna Pequin, blah, blah, blah. Also, to be fair, Joe Pesci. they've got a, only a handful of minutes to make the introduction. Well, right. And yeah. even afterwards, they've got very little time to work with. Like, well, after we saw Other Side of the Wind last year, that was very rare to have, like, this big, like, hour debrief. Because even at the right. press conference, Kent Jones asked a few questions. There were two questions from the journalists, and they're like, sorry, we're out of time. So, like, the New York Film Festival, there's only a limited number of, like, resources they have, and so they kind of move things along. So. Right, right, right. But it was it was just, you know, to, ha to hear Joe Pesci give Anna Paquin and then Joe... To hear Martin Scorsese give Anna Paquin and Joe Pesci the same kind of introduction was really cool. But when they, Marty announced Joe Pesci, that crowd roared. Yeah. Joe Pesci walked out on stage and gave Marty a kiss on the cheek and then walked to his place. And they brought out Al. And they brought out Robert De Niro. And De Niro took the microphone and said, Marty wants me to say a few words about the movie. I'm not going to say much. I just hope that you enjoy the movie. Because they co-produce it. Like, it's the two of them together. Right. Yeah. Well, now... It's their brainchild. Well, it's really Robert De Niro's brainchild. Now, very similar... Well, in the past, he would find, like, King of Comedy, and be like, I want to do this. Or yeah. find Raging Bull, I want to do well, this. Well, right. Like, so, yeah. and, and I was going to say that. Very similarly to Raging Bull, this was something that De Niro had found. 
that he really wanted to do. Also coupled with a book called The Winner of Frankie Machine by Don Winslow, which is a really, really good book. If any of those Winslow fans that are out there that read The Forced and really loved it, read this book about, it's called The Winner of Frankie Machine. It is excellent. The Force. Yeah. yeah, no, Force is great too. It's like the Prince of, Prince of the City on steroids. Yeah. But the, the, the Winner of Frankie Machine, I read it thinking of De Niro because they had announced that in like 2007 that that was going to be the next movie that they made and then this whole I Heard You Paint Houses book by Charles Brandt came into play and that was what they decided to do and based on the press conference there was a thought of combining both both ideas from those two books and making what turned out to be the Irishman, but I, they really relied heavily on uh, the Brant book as um, as its inspiration. And taking his point of view as gospel, some elements of it have been contested, right? but they treat his point of view as history, which is something to keep in mind as you watch it. Right. So um, he makes a lot of claims about the motivation behind killing JFK, and obviously there've been a lot of opinions about the yeah. killing well, right. of JFK over the years. Right. So, um, but yeah, no, very similarly to, you know, De Niro's insistence to doing Raging Bull was very much, you know, this, and it was something that De Niro had just understood and had seen within the character. And when he approached Marty with it, uh, like, also, it took so long it. to get made that the technology kept getting better. Like the press conference, they talked about this, about how they wanted to make this like 10 years ago but they were really concerned about industrial light and magic, how the technique would work. The actors didn't want to have like a bunch of like hel- helmets and gear on them and that sort of thing. Right. But it took so long to get the 165 million to make this fucking thing. Technology kept evolving and improving. And if not for Netflix, this movie would not exist. But let's start shifting gears into just the emotional response. Marcus, you've been known to uh, have strong opinions about movies. What is the Mar- sure. Marcus Penn take? On the Irishman, just as a movie fan, just as a, as a guy who's been watching Scorsese movies his whole life. Literally my whole life. I thought it was great. Um, <clears throat> it's taxi drivers I'm, in your pantheon of great movies, correct? It's it's that. I mean, the older I get, there's more. But it's it's top five all time. What's all that? What'd you say? <clears throat> What's that? What'd you say? What'd you What's say? more? <laughs> there's not a one anymore in life. Now it's just got it. you got. It's like, but it's not. It's like Blue Velvet, Safe, Taxi Driver. <clears throat> One or two things by Claire Denis. Even Heat, as weird as it sounds, it's all just like mixed around it. I, I can't. It's like like you've. I've just grown with these movies. I can't just pick one now. So well, and, it's like, and, and and it's funny. Like I, I think Jacob Rivera t- tweeted at me and said, "So are you willing to put this put this among the best of his films?" And that's hard to do. You have to see it a couple times because yeah, exactly. Like I don't like to get into the like top this or masterpiece I just but I can't I've, I've, it's been 48 like, hours and I, yeah. it's great like I've seen Taxi Driver a lot I've seen Mean Streets a lot I've seen Goodfellas a lot Yeah. and once I've seen The Irishman a handful of times I will feel a little more comfortable in terms of my ranking right now I think it's right up there with Casino but Goodfellas sure. is one of those sure. rare movies when it comes to gangster movies that's kind of this sublime perfect like sonata that it's very tough to equal and I think it's right up there with like Mean Streets, perhaps. Even though Mean Streets feels more personal, Taxi Driver though is like one of the great towering artistic achievements of movie history. I would be very reluctant to compare it to Taxi Driver, but I'd be very reluctant to compare any movie to, ta- to Taxi Driver. But it ties Driver. in. But this movie ties in very well to something like Mean Streets because it's almost like 
you know, like the ve- the the whole air quote lesson at the end of Mean Streets is like, hey, this life of crime doesn't always pay. Like like especially you know like th- these guys wanted to be, they 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 wanted to be like top guys in the mob. They be they, Charlie's they, uncle. You know, they, yeah. they 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 did, and then it's almost like the same cat. Like we're not getting into spoilers yet, but I could say this without spoilers. It's almost like with. With the Irishman, it's like, fine, you want this life, but then it's like, when it's all over, what do you have to show for? It's like, it's still, it's like, instead of, you know, getting shot in the neck and kill, you know, like how Johnny Boy did, it's like, fine, you'll live this long life, but at the end of the day, you don't have much to show for. So it's like, it all ties in. And even the Harvey Keitel stuff, like it all, like, that's the thing about this movie. It's hard not to associate other movies. And I think, I think that's the point. Like, you don't have Harvey Keitel in this movie and be Martin Scorsese and not think about, like, Mean Streets, or well, even Taxi Driver. Well, just really don't just, know just the story their relationship. Of the just real quick in your own words, what is the premise of the Irishman? Because I think so much has been talked about in terms of the de aging. I think mm-hmm. what's been lost in the conversation is what the fuck is the movie about? So, what is the oh. story of the Irishman? Oh, it's the story of uh, Robin. Oh, geez, what's the Frank Sheeran? Yeah, Frank Sheeran, who uh, he eventually. I mean, he's a, he's a ex military kind of you know working stiff, and through uh, a few chance things. He gets kind of brought into this world of organized crime in Philadelphia, and then he's good at his job, and word gets around, and the next thing you know, uh, you know Jimmy Hoffa, uh, to some degree, he's kind of a marked man by by the, by the feds, but yeah, by, by the world. I was about to name it by by the world, and he needs someone by his side to kind of protect him, and you know Robert De Niro is is kind of his hired muscle. But then, you know, they, they've been together for so long, they become friends. And it's just like, you know, at first, you know, Frank is quiet around Jimmy Hoffa. But then th- there's this great scene. Um, and, again, and I can say this without spoilers. There's this great scene where, you know, Jimmy Hoffa is yelling at everyone. And Frank slash De Niro doesn't get it. And he's like, are you yelling at me? And he just leaves. I love that scene, and yeah. then Jimmy Hoffa <laughs> comes out after. He's like, no, I wasn't talking to you. And then you get like, it's almost like, you know. When the old, when the wife the old wife gets insulted and the husband's like no honey I didn't mean it I wasn't talking to you I, it wasn't like that you know like so and then you get that they that they be become friends I'll save the rest of it for the spoiler part because it's hard to get into their relationship without getting into spoilers but that's essentially what it is about this guy who moves up in the ranks in the mob and then eventually gets connected in with you know with, with Jimmy Hoffa who in and, the sixties you know, or late fifties to the early seventies was the president of I guess was like the international like Brotherhood Teamster, of Teamsters Brotherhood of Teamsters Union. And he was one of the most powerful people in the country. Like he was a celebrity on par of like Elvis and the Beatles. But in terms of his power, like he, there's a great bit where he points out just how much America relies upon trucks to for your our way of life in terms of what you eat, what you buy, how you live, and he controls the guys who control the flow of goods throughout the country, making him a man of enormous power for his for the, when when he was at the top of his game and there's even a great scene about that too from Hoffa's perspective where he's just this guy he's like he's got a huge ego he knows how big he is also and he like he he's a he was a rock star back then and then towards the end of the movie where you know we get this De Niro's talking to this younger woman yeah, no one and he's he like is. you know he's like Jim and, and she totally does one of those things like oh yeah Jimmy Hoffa and he's like you don't know who that is and it and it's true I it's 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 interesting I mean, maybe my age or people in this room, maybe we're the cutoff. When to we're know. Scorsese's age, you'll mention Martin Scorsese to people in their twenties, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah," and they'll pretend to know who he is. I and, hope not. Yeah. Oh, I hope. Oh not. yeah, he directed The Departed. That's what they say. 
Oh, I hope that, he directed that, Hugo. That, that hurts. <laughs> oh, that hurt even more. That hurts the thing. I hope not. I hope they think of him like a John Houston or Orson Welles. I think Wells. film fans not, will, but people. Oh, right. right. I see what you mean. Yeah, I see right what you now, mean. though, see what like most people know who Martin Scorsese is, even if they don't care. Oh, about he directed you The Wolf like, of Wall Street. He's that guy. That's true. If you ask someone like oh, who's he's not Leonardo a film, DiCaprio's even director, film people, but if you ask him John Houston, they'd be like, oh. He was in Chinatown. Yeah, like, yeah, sad yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Even people who love great artists of the past, they have their giant blind spots. Like, I, I, I love movies. I love the 20th century of movies. But if you start talking to me about, like, 19th century fiction, like, I've read a couple books from the 19th century, but it's not like I have some expansive knowledge. And then you say, oh, what about 18th century? But like, yeah. When was Don Quixote read? No, right. shit. Was that the previous century? Like, it just we all have our areas, and so that's just the reality. People who are giants of their time fade into the ashes of history, and no. that's just the that's the slow, inevitable, just wheel of time grinding us into atoms. So. And and and, and, and uh, Rob Cotter is looking really depressed as, as I describe no. this. But but I want to say I'm also just listen. that this movie is great. I, I just listen. I, I just, I just listen. listen. You don't say much. You don't talk much. You don't talk. Like, what no, am I going to say? Listening. Um, it, it also I have to say too This movie is great But from my perspective I think I've said it On this podcast A few times That like The older I get I like Messier movies Like I stand by that I think this movie is great But it's true Like that we've We've picked it a couple of things Like when De Niro Early on when he beats The guy up He does look like an old man Like the way his arm Is curled up When he's kicking the guy Or like certain Well actually you know The de-aging didn't bother me But there's like li- Little things that like Bother me But that's These are the kind of movies That I like I mean you look no further than Anyone who knows me well knows how much I love a movie like Post Tenebris Lux. That movie is long, and that movie has a lot of problems, too. Just from, like, what some people would consider a terribly CGI, you know, Red Devil, to just certain things about classism in Mexico that, like, aren't exactly good comment, but I still think that movie is... It's my favorite movie of the decade. So, or uh, Uncle Boon Me is like a long. That that's hardly a perfect. I like messiness. Was that you know the first time you it's and like, Martin um, Kessler collaborated on a wrong reel? When y'all got together, we did a double feature episode talking about those two back to back. Was that our first? I think that's the yeah, first you time know I had I y'all together is, at the same time. I always I always <clears throat> associate Amadeus, even though I wasn't on an episode. It was like people were just like, "Hey, uh, Martin shouted you out on the show," and I was like, "Oh, that that was nice." Yeah, so that I was think, the first time I re- the, definitely the first time I recorded with Martin was about Amadeus. Yeah, yeah which yeah, was. Yeah. If you can believe it, like November of 2015. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Wrong Reels five years. Also, I forgot to congratulate you. Episode 100, which you just posted. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Congratulations. I haven't listened to it. Did my. yeah, my Scott shout out all that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, we've got uh, we got some cool stuff. I was gonna wait till the end. Well, we we got some cool stuff planned for that, but uh, for the next next hundred, but um, yeah, going but going back to the Irishman, yeah, there's some things <clears throat> that could be, but that's what I like about it. I mean, a movie that's like a hundred percent great to some degree is boring to talk about because it's like, yeah, it's great. There's nothing else to say. It becomes say. like too obvious almost. It's like, yes, yeah, Casablanca's like, fucking amazing. And you start gushing and over it, to the yeah. point where it's like embarrassing to yeah. like, no, I like things that I can pick at. And then maybe next year or two years, like, oh, I thought, I don't think that anymore. You know what? I like this, but that thing I used to like, I don't know if I like that about it. And and you always go back to it and you always want to watch it now. And well, that's what I like part about of Irishman, what I think a great movie is. It's really fast. For a, It's a long fucking movie. It's like it 20, is, but I, It's like 25 minutes shy of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And it's way longer than like Godfather One, way longer than Scarface. Like when you think of long movies, you think, oh, you think of Godfather, but it's like that's yeah. two hours and like fifty-three minutes or something like that. This yeah. is three thirty. That's a that's a whopper. But it felt much shorter than that actual length. And like I said, I spent most of the time laughing, 
The performances are incredible. And I got a little pushback from this on uh, YouTube where I suggested that in the last 20 years, Al Pacino on occasion has been a little overly exuberant, but this might be his best performance in 20 years. Someone went fucking ballistic. About what? About what though? He was like, oh, you're just showing your ignorance. And he he rattled off his favorite Pacino performance from the last 20 years. Such as? To which I responded, what about his performance in the 70s where he was less exuberant? (laughs) Listen, Al Pacino will always go down as one of the greats, but I'm just saying, after Heat... That's it. Started to get a little extra caricaturish. I think he, to, he kind of, and it's. And I don't want to get too nerdy, but I, I, the career, the careers of Al Pacino and Ric Flair, the wrestler, line up so well <laughs> by year. What a lot of people consider Ric Flair's last great match was in 1995 with Vader at at Starcade. Just like with Al Pacino, and they're also they're similar in age. Whereas like Al Pacino, not that he was bad in other stuff. I mean, there were other things but last great performance to me was heat not the and and people get really hyperbolic not that he wasn't good and other stuff but great is great yeah and you're not going to be great in everything i, I so. liked him once upon a time in hollywood like he, he he's good when he pops up in a lot of things he, he's a master okay i'm gonna stop i disagree with this whole al pacino's but, great last great movie or last great performance was 20 years ago great no, I didn't and he, say... And he, he was, well, was 24 years This guy went ballistic where I said he's yeah, been slightly exuberant. I didn't say he has You could still be good in other he stuff. He has like, made Jesus. me right. smile. But what's great? But what's great? Great performance, great yeah. work. Post-heat. Like, in The Insider, Post- he's really good. There you go. Right there. Number one. He's oh, really shit. good get in on The Insider. That's 1999. It's four years yeah. after he... And I liked him in Insomnia. I liked Jesus, him in Insomnia, too. I, but I also liked him in People I Know, a but, very underseen movie. But if that you look at the 70s and his Dog Afternoon and Serpico and we got it, but... See, this is the problem with with people in film criticism and thinking that, you know, that that they've seen everything, and then they and then they forget. I, I mean, discover be- new stuff on Pornhub every night. I know, <laughs> I know, man. I love the. I'm in a constant <laughs> search of self discovery. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I, I love an adorable Pacino, but and my point is, somebody got really, really pissed at well, me. Well, no, I wanted, but I want to know what, the, like, what did they say? What did they cite? Oh, like it's, 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 long to, it's, it's far too long and silly. Right, so I'm gonna, yeah, so, yeah. so, yeah. so I listen. ended it with basically saying, to quote one of my favorite Pacino performances, I said, "Why don't you try sticking your head up your ass, see if it fits?" And yes. that, that was the the end of the argument. Fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna say though. Al has done some really good acting work since he... Were you the guy leaving these comments? Yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> right? shit. Right? No, it wasn't me. I swear, I've t- I don't have enough time. Um, no, listen. Al has done some good work. Al has also coupled it with some really good stage performances that a lot of people don't really take into, take into account. I will yeah, say... Version of Venice, all kinds of things. Yeah. Yes. I will say that one of the worst experiences I ever had in a live setting was seeing Al Pacino and David Mamet's China Doll. It was like David Mamet wrote Al Pacino a play that no one could act through. And Al Pacino went on stage every night, night after night, and bombed. Like, bombed, bombed, oh. bombed, and he had teleprompters all over the all over the stage that were disguised as Apple computers. He had people reading his lines through his cell phone. He performed on a cell phone all night. Why? Because David Mamet wouldn't re- give him a rewrite. So, and Al suffered through like 18 weeks of Broadway because, of course, they pre-sold it and he sold out. He's going to tap dance to victory with this because I think there are many, many, many scenes where he kind of steals the movie entirely. No, 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 no. Listen, I, I will get to that in a moment. But just to defend Al, you know what? Al 
has... He's a living legend. He doesn't need to be defended. He's a living legend, but he also... His films speak for themselves. But he also didn't take the paycheck route the way that other stars in this movie have. Like are you De Niro? Yeah, no, like Robert De Niro. <laughs> now, even more, I mean, he, I wouldn't call him the star of the movie, but I don't think anyone, uh, Harvey Keitel has done some things. Yeah. But not, 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 not even during his off, I'm talking recently where it's like, the, why the are you doing Godfather? Like, what, Yeah, exactly. Um, even Christopher Walken, like when you're getting like Kangaroo Jack, and yeah. like, but, but Little Nicky, little Nicky. But yeah, but hey, what, money but, is honey. Like, but yeah. I, I'll just say, you want to see some good Al Pacino work? You know what? Check out um, his work in Barry Levinson's The Humbling. It's solid work. Hmm. It was overshadowed by Birdman because it's essentially the same movie. It's about an actor and a play who is trying to, you know, trying to to break out of being, you know, the actor that everybody, you know, the character that everybody, you know, refers to him as. Manglehorn. Solid work with him, Harmony Corinne, Holly Hunter, you know. David Gordon Green. To get David Gordon Green in a way. It's a nice return to form for David Gordon Green, who went back to his indie roots and did something that wasn't, you know, you know, you know, that was more in line with something like George Washington than, say, Pineapple Express. No, but your point is well taken. Like he's, done, he's obviously been like capable Wild of great work. But even like But even poking fun at him a little bit, I think there's no harm in having a little fun at a living legend's expense. He's one of our filmmaking heroes, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with giving some good-natured ribbing for, for, tur- for turning yeah. it up a little bit from, from time to time. And no, we, while we can still acknowledge his greatness as well, like, you know, one of the all-time greats of the last, last 50 years. No, right, but goes I also for De Niro. Th- it's like na- Neighbors when they have that party where they're all uh, dressed like Robert. They're doing Robert De Niro characters. That shit is hilarious. But, yeah. And I'll go on record and saying I saw Dirty Grandpa. I thought this shit was funny. I laughed I still my have ass it. off. Yeah. Oh, that's a funny movie. I think it's funnier than... Um, I don't know. Name any of those other dumb De Niro movies that he's made in the last 20 years. Little, I think Robert De Niro throw, throw a dart at Little Fockers. any of them. Little Fockers. Although I liked him in Silver Linings Playbook. No, no, listen. That, that's I, different. That, that's yeah, different. That, that's he should have uh, won the Academy Award for that. Yeah, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, that yeah. should have been his Oscar. Yeah. Should have been his third Oscar. I wouldn't be mad at that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the nominees that year, I mean, it was Christoph Waltz who won for Django, which, which I'm okay with that. I mean, but he had won it three years before. He didn't need to win it again. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, last nomination for the Master would have been cool to see that, but I'm still happier with the De Niro win. Mm-hmm. It would have yeah. been a, it would have been it would have been a nice, you know, career capper for him, especially since he hadn't been nominated. I guess it was like 20 years since his last nomination at that mm-hmm. point. But anyway, we're digressing. Um, yeah, Al Pacino has some real special work though in the last 20 years. It it wasn't big successfully. It wasn't box office wise. But would you concur that The Irishman is his best performance of the last? I'm gonna say last 25 years. I think it's better than his performance in Heat, and I love his performance in Heat. But I think this is his sure. best. I think this is my well, favorite Pacino Heat, performance. The way that people like Heat. This is my favorite really? performance of Pacino since it, Carlito's Way. Yeah. Well, uh, He's all over the place in Heat. I mean, in a good way. It's like his relationship with Natalie Portman. Great ass. Yeah, that. But then that when he. But again, some people still don't know. There's this whole section movie that got cut out where he has a coke problem. So that's why he acts like that (laughs) in the movie. No, it's true. No, right. Oh, you didn't know that. I think we should just say he has a coke problem in every movie. Yeah, he's chipping coke and then explain all the problems. Yeah, no. He says that he that you know that he was that that was part of his motivation for that movie that he was chipping cocaine. Ah. And um, you'd have to be. I mean, he's working twenty hours a day. But well, right, exactly. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to think about that throughout the the podcast. But 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 you know what? I I will I will uh, I will say that again. You're talking performance wise. I don't know. You look at something like People I Know, and that's really good, really good piece of acting. But then you also look at something like the documentary he made, Wild Salome, where it's a documentary of him trying to put on the play of Salome while simultaneously shooting a film of the play. And it takes you through the whole process, the whole artistic process, and it really shows you a vulnerable... Pacino in this position where he's the actor, he's the director, the money people are all on him about having to perform. And He's like, and guys, I've got Jessica Chastain buck-ass naked dancing in the movie. Relax. <laughs> and, and, and and even still, they didn't want to hear that. They For Mr. Just- Skin subscribers out there, hunt down Salome. Jessica no. Chastain goes berserk, and it's delightful. And now, oh, I wow. may, now, and that may also be... I may also carry some sentimentality with that whole thing because when I was 13 years old, I saw a performance of Al Pacino and Salome uh, at the Stanford Center of Performing Arts after it had done a run on Broadway. And oh. it was one of the most incredible things that I've ever uh, but, seen. But uh, we're getting too off track of but the But that's the bottom line. Like, yeah. so, no, Al's the man and whatever. Yeah. And, and it's also like, funny. We've talked about 30 minutes about Al Pacino, but not about his performance right, in the Irishman. So let's talk. It's, <laughs> how funny is it that Robert De Niro, this is his ninth film with Scorsese, and Joe Pesci, this is his fourth film with Scorsese, and Keitel, even though he's only got a couple scenes, this is his fifth or sixth film with Scorsese. This is his first time working with Al, and Al walks away with the movie. Well, Scorsese talked about that during the press conference, and his his one word was, "Finally," because it's like they've been they've been circling each other and Since kind of nineteen seventy. Like, they've been looking at each other from a distance for decades at this point, but now that they finally got a chance to do it, they made the magic happen. It's funny because I was they were talking about this 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 film that they were going to do about Medigliani, that wound that Andy Garcia wound up making a movie about. Medigliani. There was also rumors that Pacino was going to play the the Jimmy Conway part in Goodfellas. Um, and I'm sure that there were some other things along the way. And also keep in mind, you, you know, could have put him in Color Money instead of Paul Newman. Obviously, it wouldn't have worked because he played Fast right. Eddie Felson in The Hustler. But right. It would have been a role that Pacino would have killed. You know. Yeah. And then and then looking at you know the 24 year hiatus of Scorsese and De Niro and Pesci. But that's different because Pesci had a self-imposed retirement. He almost was in Horse and Pete for Louis C.K. and that whole I love that story. And that whole story about not going down on women and just kissing and like making love missionary style that Alan Alda says in the show was what Joe Pesci somehow went into while talking on the phone. No, no, no. It was in person. Louis went to visit Joe Pesci and they spent the day together. And, and Pesci lectured and him Pesci about lectured not him about eating pussy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but but it, it's, you know, it's classic. Of Go look that to, up. It's I mean, on old YouTube. Old people like to lecture the young, but of all the things to lecture the young about, that, yeah. that's delightful. Um, but, but the whole De Niro Scorsese 24-year hiatus, it wasn't supposed to be that long. They didn't do Departed. it on purpose. Yeah. He was going to be Martin Sheen's uh, character in The Departed. He was going to be Bill the Butcher. Well, Scorsese spoke very movingly oh. at the press conference. He said, look, as you get older, friends and collaborators, you grow in different ways. You grow together. You grow apart. It's life takes you down so many different strange yeah, ways. Yeah. But he says the material of the Irishman 
kept bringing them back together. It was a foregone conclusion it was going to happen. It's just a matter of like finding the right time, the right studio, etc. But yeah, they did not have like a falling out and intend to go their separate ways. But after King of Comedy, they went their separate ways yeah, for like eight or nine years. Yeah, they worked together for seven years. Yeah, King of Comedy is a horrible, negative experience. And then they eventually came back together. So when you've known somebody that long... It's weird, like you can go years without seeing somebody, but they're still very close to you. Well, Scorsese always talks about how how Robert De Niro was the only person that ever understood where it was that he came from. You know, they grew up basically a couple blocks away. They're very close in age. They had a lot of the same friends growing up. You know, so it's only natural that they would, you know, that they would have this, you know, kind of relationship and kind of connection. You know, it's it, it's nice to to have seen that you know they they were always including each other. It was it was more than just a showbiz relationship because you hear all these showbiz people talk about oh well this one's my friend that one's my friend this one's my you know they're actually friends like you know I'm sure that you know you know uh, you know Robert De Niro showed Marty the script to say something like The Good Shepherd and said hey how can you help me with this or what do you think of right. this yeah. cut or. You know, and De Niro, I mean, and, or and when listen, he's shooting Bronx Tale. Yeah. Well, right. And well, yeah, which which to digress a little bit about Bronx Tale, there's some incredibly directorial moments in that movie that I'm sure that came from De Niro himself, but also came from the, you know, the tutelage of being under that man's, you know, direction. Yeah, if you're around Scorsese directing all the time, you're going to pick up a few tricks of the trick. Yeah, and especially when... And it's funny, you also hear them talk about how Marty will direct him, and Marty really doesn't give him any direction. It's like all these pictures you see of them like talking on set, Marty says that they're not talking about the next shot or the next setup. They're talking about some friend that no, they 90% have. 90% of a director's job is in the casting. You, you cast good people and turn them loose. No, right. Well, Marcus, I feel like we're, we're leaving you out. Before we switch oh, gears good. into the spoiler section, any final impressions on just the overall emotional experience as a movie or just, just your impression in general of just this movie's prospects, the, also the fact that it's getting it's like a very rare theatrical run for a Netflix movie? I mean, most Netflix films or shows, they basically just get dumped on Netflix, and that, that is the end of that story. But obviously between the festival and then the theatrical window, and then I mean, this is a, a rare thing. Is this, Netflix, is this Netflix's first Best Picture Oscar? Winner? I mean, you think it's it went? I think it's a foregone conclusion as a nominee, but yeah. they obviously they tried hard with Roma last year, and they, they, they this picked up a few statues. This is a much better movie than Roma. Uh, it could win. The more I think about it, I just hope. I just hope. Yeah, I mean, that the Academy hates Netflix. That's so. what I was getting at. But I also say, like, if which, which would be a great accomplishment too. But I just hope that this movie, whatever awards that it wins, it does win because it's a really good movie and not just because of the names attached to it and and, and the hype around it. If anything, I feel like the Academy, because they actively are opposed to Netflix and what they stand for, any award that they win is like a major victory. And the, but this is also just kind of like what? Do you, what? What are you going to do? It's like. Scorsese, Pacino, De Niro, Joe Pet, like this is a legitimately great movie. Like it'll be amazing if you try to like snub this. Speaking of snubs, I've been really for the last like few years super fascinated with supporting roles and like the supporting roles that get recognition and I just worry that because you know Joe Pesci's not Tommy, he's not, you know, whatever, like the a, a variation of the guy. He, you know, he played a variation of the same person in, in three Scorsese films. He's the opposite here. He's very 
calm, quiet, collective. It's just like the opposite of anything. Not even outside of Scorsese but films. But still like weirdly where, funny you know, when he's like, oh, of course, oh, when he of talks course. about like that failure to show appreciation line, which apparently yeah. he improvised on the set. Yeah. He he had me screaming with laughter, even if he is not like so exuberant and over the top as he has been in the past. Yeah, I just think like Joe Pesci's performance in The Irishman is like the epitome of what I think like a, a, a great supporting role is. And I always think back, my, my, my barometer, this is kind of weird, but it's like, what got me to start my mind working was just like Joel Edgerton in Midnight Special. I was like, that's that's what a, a great supporting role should be. Like your character is the support. Like they drop with it. Like they show this loyalty. And of course, that's what Joe Pesci is like. He ah, we're we're not in the spoiler. So we'll get in the spoiler se- in the spoiler se- section later. But he 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 shows he's like a true friend in that movie. Even though when they first when you know De Niro's character and Joe Pesci's character get together, like Pesci is at a much higher level and he just kind of treats De Niro as 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 an equal and then as the decades go on they just kind of remain that way so yeah e- even shit we're not in the spoiler section so right, I'll I'm just gonna hold. go ahead sorry, and press sorry. pause because it's clear yeah. that we need to dive into some well, spoilers I want to continue no I want to continue <laughs> yeah. no I I, I, I want to you know stay on this whole question about the Oscar in a way I think it's Netflix Oscar to lose you know, I wish that they I, I wish that Netflix could have swallowed just a tiny bit of pride and gave it the 90 day exclusive theatrical window that 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 these that these exhibitors wanted. You so like AMC Regal. Et right. To, you know, even if even if they were going to lose money because they were inevitably going to lose money. I mean, this movie could have gross. I was reading an article in Variety yesterday. Well, I mean, it's a different model. If the, if it equates to a certain number of subscribers, they can easily justify that 160 million. Right. Yeah. But Variety wrote this article yesterday. Owen Gleiberman, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but he actually you know made some made some really good points. You know that this movie's too good for Netflix. That's not in, fair. In I mean, t- in, no, no. In terms every of its other quality, studio said no. So it's like no, right? But they didn't know. They didn't know what movie they had. No, but it, but it's one of those things where like this whole I, I really reject this idea of looking down on Netflix because they do take chances on filmmakers like sure. Scorsese. No, no, no. And so it's like, why are they the punching bag? It's like they should be but, getting but a high five as opposed to oh, but well, they're going to get the high five now. Yeah. And they and and in a way that this movie. You know, really, this movie changes the game more than Roma did. Agreed, yeah. You know? And, you know, because now you have all these Hollywood studios saying, well, I don't want to make your movie. Well, okay, but Martin Scorsese come and came and did this movie and we gave him all the yeah. creative freedom. It's an opportunity for Apple. He... It's an opportunity for Amazon. It's an opportunity for Netflix. Yeah, but Amazon oppor- plays the game the right way. Yeah. Amazon does give the exclusive 90-day window and then they do a, they do a traditional rollout. Whereas I think Netflix, they should tell the theaters to go fuck themselves because yeah, the theater, but that's because you're anti going to the movies. The theaters because of people and, and the academy phones. are the they're the late adopters. They're the dinosaurs. They're the ones stuck in the past. Film festivals like Cannes, fifty years from now, when the history books are being written, Netflix and Amazon and Apple they're gonna win this fucking battle. And anyone who tries to fight that, I feel like is living in total well, right, denial. Right, but it's also <laughs> just a progression. It's a, it's the same kind of progression from from only having movies in the movie theater to then syndicated movies with commercials, then to the home video market, and now this. Absolutely. I mean, it's embrace just, it. Yeah, it just and people don't want to embrace it because you know it's. 
it, it's hard, but it's also hard to embrace something when, like that, like a Netflix, when you're combining movies with what you call television shows and you're submitting movies for Oscars. Like Spielberg. Spielberg's like, those aren't movies. Those should be up for Emmys, not Academy Awards. But I don't think that, but but then... Which I don't agree with, but that's Spielberg's point. No, right. But but, but, but But the part of that problem is is because Netflix wants to say, oh, well, Netflix designates things as either films or as TV shows. If it's got, I mean, if, if the Irishman were four episodes, it'd be a show. It'd be a miniseries. It'd be a miniseries. Yeah. And it could almost play that way. It could easily play that way. And that's how people will watch it. They'll watch it and they'll stop and start it and they'll pee and they'll I drink. And, no, right. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, I think that this is Netflix Oscar, Oscar to lose and they might have lost it by not doing the traditional rollout. You know, I just think that they could have done, you know, 90 days in the theater and then day 91. But or, what about movies that open like a week before New Year's exactly. in a theater in L.A., a theater in New York? Exactly. But, it's like two but, but it still doesn't come out in the home video market until 90 days after the exclusive window. And if this is the way that exhibitors want to play the game, and if this is what the Academy is going to want in order to could qualify it as a movie in their own head, then for a filmmaker like Scorsese or for a filmmaker like Spielberg who will decide to make his movie on Netflix one day because we know he's going to make his movie on Apple TV, why not just pacify and day 91, you put the movie on your streaming site and call it a day? I mean, even movies, like even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to be out on video but at the end of the month. But why should they pacify somebody who very clearly is reacting to, but to a, a disruptive innovation? Like Netflix is a disruptor. And it changes the way people watch and make movies. And clearly, people who are part of the old guard are threatened by a new way of doing things. It's in their interest to fight and resist. Sure. It's in con- like Toronto. You were just there. There was one theater that refused to show Netflix content because of their loyalty to the sanctity of the theatrical experience. And I just feel like these people are living in comp- – they're stuffing their head right up their butt. And I feel like whether you're talking about Coppola or Cronenberg or whomever – the wise filmmakers have always embraced technology when it comes to shooting and or exhibiting movies. Anybody who is fighting this beautiful platform, which finances Errol Morris movies or Martin Scorsese movies, how they can be described as the enemy because they don't get let AMC have their 90-day window? Fuck yeah. AMC. I'd much rather have money like invested in Netflix than in goddamn AMC. Like AMC can go. AMC has fucking bugs. They have like people on their phones. Like I AMC can burn in hell. Like <laughs> yeah. Like I wonder if some of these people have been to an AMC or low, like think about that movie going experience. Sometimes sometimes it's better to just you have a nice TV at home. Yeah. Go shit. to Forty Second Street and Eighth Street and go to an AMC for, for, and, no. and tell yeah, me no, 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 about the nasty. sanctity of the theatrical model. I just I don't I don't. Yeah, buy but it. you go to but go to Alamo Draft House and they preserve the sanctity of the movie theater throw people out who are on their phones okay that's great I think that everybody should get thrown out whether they're in AMC or if Netflix wanted to give Alamo a 90 day window I would not kick in the slightest like reward people who actually do do a good job I am all listen I saw the movie the other day it's gonna be in the theater November 1st it's gonna be on Netflix November 27th yeah I wanna see it again right now I'm notoriously I'm notorious I'm a notorious rewatcher so I'm chomping at the bit to watch this again so believe me like I'm not opposed to this 
instant gratification with movies, but by the same token, the reason that most of us all got into the, got into the love of movies was because we went and we sat in a dark theater and we shared this experience with other That's people. Not true. We saw many. I had many great experiences I saw many on movies VHS and, and yeah, on right, cable. But I also lost yeah. that. But I also lost the search of going and like discovering movies in a video store and making friends in a video yeah. store. I was like I say, did that was here. my favorite thing. You like, know, and even yeah, that's that, gone. I missed that as well. But it's it's never coming back. But I imagine there are a lot of people who are just as nostalgic It'll about come back like vinyl. going to see. I don't think so. Yeah, like going to see silent movies so. and having the organ play. I'm sure they'll be like movies have never been the same since they didn't have an organ player introducing the silent movie. Like, there's always something to be nostalgic about. But it is a technological medium that evolves and changes and moves on. And I just feel like, um, what's the best way to put this? I just feel like in Netflix at this point, clearly they are breaking new ground and they should listen to their own counsel because Khan is not an ally. Toronto's obviously not an ally. And the Academy Award has few, has fewer viewers each year. It Mark my words, five or ten years from now, the Academy Awards well, they're gonna will, merge. will mean less than ever. And they are reaching a point of total cultural irrelevance. They're going to be like the fucking Emmys in a couple of years. I've never watched the Emmys ever, but I have watched the Academy Awards many times. The the day of filmmakers giving two shits about even winning an Academy Award might draw to a close. Well, you know what? We want to talk about the history of Martin Scorsese and the Academy Awards. This might be a really good point to, to bring up. He never won for what he was supposed to win for. Sure. And if he was going to win, and if he's supposed to win. Like, right. But if he's supposed to win for this, he's not going to. So that's just another, mm. you know, that's just another, you know, for me, and I said it the other day to my buddy when I was on the phone. I mean, with Kubrick Raven. never won Best Director. Hitchcock never won Best Director. No, right. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, he, you know what? They should have snubbed Marty for The Departed. They could have continued to snub him for Hugo and for Wolf of Wall Street. This is the movie he should win for. And chances mm. are, you know what? They'll snub him again. Because I'm thinking right now, what, what, beside, what's the big, like, best movie at this point, right now, at this point, the front runners seem to be Jojo Rabbit and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It ain't Jojo. Uh, I mean, that's cool, but well, I Jojo don't... won won the People's Choice Award at Toronto, yeah, which yeah. is always a big indicator. Quentin's movie is the original movie of the year that grossed all this money and that got incredible critical praise. In my head, I cannot see the Academy awarding Tarantino over Scorsese. That would be just the biggest. Fuck you to him. But then again, Quentin's from L.A. Marty's from New York. Quentin's in the system. At this point, Marty's not in the system because it's a Netflix thing. And they could. But besides the point. But it's a mistake to think of the Academy thinking as like a room full of people smoking cigars and kind of thinking up their strategy. It's thousands of people voting in secret. And people always talk about the Academy as if it's like a single person deciding upon a narrative. Right. It is thousands and thousands yeah, of people, 6, people voting on their peers. And I feel like it's always a mistake to assume that the Academy has like an agenda. There might be like a feeling in the air that they're all kind of like subscribing to, but I think the Academy is much more chaotic than people give credit for. Well, and I also think the Academy is different at this point than say it was the last time Scorsese got nominated, which was for The Wolf of Wall Street. And in the same way that Paul Thomas Anderson didn't get nominated for any of the awards leading up to Phantom Thread and then finally getting a nomination for the for you know, for best director and best picture where it came out of left field. I think that this base of the Academy is going to look at this movie and go, Whoa, this is who we want to be. This is who this, this is the guy that we've always looked up to. These are the kind of movies that, you know, that we've always loved and might honor him. But I've always thought that 
the Academy has always been against Marty for a really, really long time. Even down to the simple fact that they didn't even nominate him for Silence. They nominated him for The Last Temptation of Christ. He got nominated for Best Director. It was the sole nomination. Ordinary people beating Raging Bulls like Jesus. And and Elephant Man. Well, well, and Elephant Man. Don't forget, even though, you know, one's worse than the other in terms of the like that loss, Mm -hmm. you know. But the only reason that Robert Redford won Best Director is because the Academy refuses to uh, acknowledge Hollywood heartthrobs in the best actor category. Notice that never a Hollywood heartthrob has won an Academy Award for best actor. Robert Redford. Oh, Leo won. Took him six nominations. Still a heartthrob. He's fucked more supermodels than anyone you else on what, this but, planet. But you, know, but, but, but you know what? The moment that these guys fuck, the, the moment that these guys step behind the camera, they win. Redford, Costner, uh, Clint Eastwood. Mm. To a point was the heartthrob mm. in the early 60s, 70s, you know. Mm. Never got nominated. I don't know. I love Clint Eastwood. Right. But he, he didn't symbol. necessarily need to win Best Actor ever. <laughs> like, I, mean, I love him in a lot of movies, but and I, I, we're getting way, way off no, topic. No, 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 no. no. But we're they, just talking. But the fact is, is that, you know, to, to I don't think they're chasing Academy Awards at this point. I don't think they even care. I think Netflix would love it as a fuck you to the system. And if they would, they should play by the rules. Yeah, but in the end, the the rules of the academy are so arbitrary and so old fashioned. Like when I when I uh, produced Cheatin with Adam and Bill Plimpton, the hoops we had to jump through, even to be considered to be possibly shortlisted for a possible nomination, they, right. these rules were written like in the night nineteen fifty two, and it's like, well, y'all haven't like revisited this these rules for the animated short or feature. This is for a feature, but it's like, yeah, it's clear they haven't revisited the rules and criteria. In decades, and like it blows my mind that like if a foreign film wants to be nominated, the country decides upon the one movie from that country and then puts it forward to be considered for best foreign language film. It's like, well, what if five kick-ass movies come out of yeah, South Korea? And it's always some awkward selection. It's the, too, the rules man. by which things can even be eligible are completely, totally mired in like a 60, 70-year-old model, which is yet another reason, just from a bureaucratic standpoint, I fucking despise the Academy. Right, and it's yeah. funny. Like even a, even a great movie like Portrait of a Lady on Fire that's playing at New York Film Festival now, France didn't shortlist it for their. It's not their submission, yeah. and it's the like most yeah. critically acclaimed yeah. film of the year. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no. At the end of the day, it's a, an intensely flawed system. So it's time to talk about some spoilers. So I'm gonna press pause. I gotta pee. Hello. Hey, my friend. I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm gonna put him on the phone and let you talk to him, okay? Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. Our friend speaks very highly of you. Thank you. Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. I heard you paint houses. Yes, I do, sir. Where are you going? Going to work. Well, you know, there's a situation going on now, Frank. Big business and the government, they're trying to pull us down. You might be demonstrating a failure to show appreciation. I know things they don't know I know. You can't miss the big picture. Sooner or later. Get the gun 
Everybody put here as a date when he's gonna go. You wanna be a part of this fight? Would you like to be a part of this history? Yes, I would. Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. He likes the thought, don't he? So now is the time to get into the specifics, whether you want to talk about his preoccupation with people not wearing shorts and being punctual, or about how fucking hot Anna Paquin was when she's staring daggers at her father. But Marcus, the floor is yours. Let's talk some specifics. Uh, supporting cast. So right out of the bat. So take away Pesci, take away Pacino, take away De Niro. There's some great supporting performances by, you know, a couple of them are... You know, not through film, but through just Marty's work are like regular, you know, like Bobby Cannavale, who he's someone who I don't he's certainly in things that I'm not always a fan of. But him, he's always great. He's one of those actors that I got watch him in anything. Um, Stephen Graham. Uh, who you know, who's a who's Brit, great, but, yeah, who's yeah, but he, pretty convincing as yeah. an Italian American. <laughs> yeah, he well he 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 um. What's the term? He he dipped his toe uh, early on. He you know in uh, Michael Mann's P- Public Enemy is one of the more forgettable films. And like Boardwalk Empire. Well, Boardwalk like Empire. Yeah. Yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah, but and anyone who and he's somewhat judging from a crowd standpoint, seeing Stephen Graham perform in that movie, he got a lot of laughter and just a lot of reaction from people in in that movie. If you haven't seen This Is England, that's kind of the movie that like got him notoriety because he's been known i mean i guess you know snatch was probably the first thing anybody would notice he's jason statham's like you know sidekick guy but this is england was the first movie where he got to do everything where he like was angry and beat people up and he cried and did everything and then from then on i I started to see him in more and more stuff and i think this is something like this might be his best performance or one of his best performances i think he's really great so you have like and going to the Something like Anna Paquin, who literally says a small handful of words, but she's her. You're not. She's not supposed to. Like there, there's a reason why she says so. So for well, she's pissed at her dad. So exactly. She's not talking. And with she him. has not, nothing to say. <laughs> but it's also it ties into because it wasn't her. It wasn't easy to grow up in the household of Mr. Sheeran. It, well, that's what I was getting ready to say. It ties into her. You know the her her earlier years when she's kind of spying on her dad she's already just like a shy person yeah, it's like daddy's and, going off to work but it's like three in the morning and he's got a fucking shotgun and she was spying yeah watching him load guns you know and, 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 and into i love your side by sides of taxi driver with the irishman oh nice because yeah. all those scenes laying out the guns on yeah. the bed i was like ooh, yeah. this is like that stephen prince bit and taxi driver absolutely I mean, yeah. yeah so yeah and just you know like you know, from that moment, you know, where there's the scene where, so there's a scene early on in the movie where the young Anna Paquin turns out, you know, she she got shoved by a store owner and immediately De Niro was um like, someone shoved you? Well, come on, let's go. And he goes and he beats the guy up. It's like Ray Liotta Very going, excessive. walking across the street and beating Totally, like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. totally, totally. And from that point on, she's just like, the types of people that my dad hangs around with, just, it's like, you know... She does like she has a sense like she does not like Joe Pesci's character. Um, but she that's takes, some of the she funniest stuff the in the movie. Off, yeah, of you course, had yeah. this guy who desperately wants to be the sweet kind. No, he kind tries of, so hard like, from the Christmas or all that stuff. He's just like, see, she but she can like just me. tell he's a very scary guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which going back to that performance, there's nothing really. Maybe towards the end when he calls when he 
He's like, we got to take care of Jimmy Hoffa. But before that, he's not scary. But you know, he could get scary if you or he could make scary things happen. And I, I'm going back. Because we see him and De Niro like taking these road trips with these girls that want to stop and smoke cigarettes like every five minutes. Like, yeah. there's so much about Joe Pesci's character that is yeah. played for laughs. So. And they do what they say. Anytime they want to stop, they're just like, All right, I guess we have the wives want to stop. All right, let's stop. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. But who who else? Who who who, who am I forget? Oh, uh, Welker White. What's who that? played Joe Hoffa, who was the um, the babysitter from Goodfellas. Oh, duh, yeah. So oh, she's great. wow. I didn't make that connection at yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, remind, which... My lucky hat, I can't fly without it. Like, <laughs> which, you never drive to Rockaway to get you your fucking hat? Yeah. <laughs> and then her great... What always makes me want to strangle her is like when they're in the police station and she like mouths sorry. To Rayleigh, oh in, in such an asshole kind of like sorry, like you fucking. Anyway, she's ruthless. She she's a great, you know, partner, great wife in that movie. She's all about. She's. It's not even like she's not even like. It's not even about being loyal to Jimmy Hoffa. It's just like the the people who hate him. Like she hates them. It's just uh, yeah. She's really great. And that's another thing too. I want because I'm a big. I'm so fascinated by directors and the like the the repertoire and the relationship they have with actors. Where it's like, you know, you can get someone, you can get an actor to come into a movie and they're in like a couple of scenes, but then decades later they come back and then they're in a meteor scene or vice versa. Like I always think of a guy like Mike Lee who can get, you know, look, 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 look at Vera Drake. I mean, the actress who played Vera Drake, she's in the movie from start to finish, Academy Award nominated. And then in a movie like Another Year, you know, six, seven years later, she comes back for two scenes each that are like two minutes. They're very great. memorable scenes but it's like Claire Denis is another one where it's like you could be the star of a Claire Denis movie and then like two movies down the road you're just like standing in the background you have no lines but it's like you're you're just one of her actors and it's like it just shows people who always want to work with with, with these folks so it's like Goodfellas was 1990 The Irishman is 2019 and to still have this relationship with like any in 30 years you could get any actress to play that role and like he still thought but no let me get the also, the casting process is so time consuming if you know someone's good and can do it cast exactly, them exactly you save, exactly you're saving yourself exactly. days if not weeks yeah what do you think yeah. about what do y'all think about Jesse Plemons who's a newcomer to the world of Scorsese because yeah. that scene with the fish right. and the car and the smell and Sally asking them about what kind of fish it was Admittedly, it's toward the end of the movie where they, or where things are starting to get more serious. But Intense. that scene yeah. had me fucking crack. It was a perfect way of kind of letting off a little steam because you can tell things are about to get dark. Same. But oh, having, absolutely. But they're you having this ridiculous coming. conversation yeah. about fish in the car. And then Al Pacino gets in and starts lecturing his son about <laughs> having fish in the car. And, and I was screaming with laughter yeah. during that whole exchange. Well, I love even early on how proud Al Pacino was. Uh, you know, when the guy tries to assassinate him and Jesse Plemons beats the shit yeah. out of him. And he's like, this is my son. I raised him. Yeah. Um, it's like when he's got yeah. a gun, you charge. But with a knife, you run away. But that's, that's another, in the another great yeah. moment, yeah. too. I, you know, it's funny. I had a, we had a funny moment. Uh, I, I went and saw the Irishman with my fiance. And maybe I was like mumbling to myself too loud. But the scene where Robert De Niro beats up the shop owner, I'm like, well, fair enough. Like the way I say it. And she was kind of like, because we talk about having kids a lot. So I don't want her to worry that like if something She's you know, were to pop person. up. Yeah, like, but I, I do. I was just like, oh, shit, fair Anybody enough. ever shoves your daughter, I'll go kick the shit exactly, out. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like even, exa- I, honestly, I Stepping feel like even before I got to her. Yeah. That was, that was yeah. spot on and honest. But that fucking good fuck. Yeah, I didn't even think about that where he's like, yeah, what do you want, fucko? Ah, ah, yeah, that that is just like that scene. Wow. Yeah. 
Jesus. Well, the movie's in, entirely self-referential, whether he's doing it on purpose or not. I think it's a mix of both. More, more not, but there are some, like, you can't not know that this is similar to that. Well, right. But you can't still, not know the guns on the bed isn't not. the taxi driver thing. Yeah. You cannot, you know, but yeah. I, honestly, I would not have, I didn't make that connection. Or just like with Harvey Keitel, like, like Harvey Keitel, what? They haven't worked together in 31 years. Last Temptation of Christ. Any act, you could have got any actor to, to play that part. What's that? <laughs> when he had a Jerry curl. <laughs> exactly. A red, a red Jerry curl. A red curl. Jerry, a red curl. Jerry curl. He could have got any actor to come in that, but that's his, bo- you know, cartel. Right, well, Kyle, I've got a serious boy. question for you. Do some soul searching on this. Is Steve Zalian a good match for Scorsese, or did he get, did he get to get, kind of get piggybacked a little bit by Pacino and Pesci, who admittedly did a hell of a lot of improvisation? Within the context of the character, they're not plucking things out of thin air. But my understanding is that both Pacino and Pesci love to improvise, and there was very little rehearsal time, but they were just cutting loose on the set. And some of the funniest things they said were the result of Pacino and Pesci having that creative freedom. Because I feel like Zalian's obviously a legendary screenwriter. I mean, fucking write Schindler's List. But he's very earnest. He's very serious. He's not necessarily like Nicholas Pileggi, who's incredibly funny the way he, the way he writes. What do you think of the collaboration between Zalian and Scorsese? Well, this isn't the first collaboration between Zalian and Scorsese. He's he was the one that was hired after Harvey Weinstein fired Jay Cox on, on Gangs, Gangs in New York. York, and then when Zalian worked a little bit on it, and Kenny Lonergan went in and did the cleanup. But um, no, I'm I was fine with with the Zalian with with Zalian's work because Zalian really pared down. You know the the script. You know to to a point. You know to you know to a manageable. You know shooting. Well, the, start again. Zalian pared down the source material of that book into a shooting script that that they could work. And with. And you've read the original source material. I right? read the book. Yeah. I read the screenplay nine years ago, and um, and so I, I knew what I was getting into. Like I kind of knew, and and even all this time where I had been going around saying. Well, this is going to be Scorsese's Unforgiven. I only knew that because I read it. You know, it was it to me. It it's was better than Unforgiven. I love Unforgiven. Oh, I love. I mean, but no, it's but than just in terms of of you know where we are in a career. Even though Scorsese's older than Eastwood was when Eastwood, Eastwood wasn't made, that old when he made no, Unforgiven. No, right, but <laughs> but like you know, 60. It, he, yeah. but Eastwood made it a point to be like, you know, this is the western that I. This is my last western that I'm going to yeah. make, and he really stayed true to that. Uh, I think Zalian is a is a master craftsman at structure. And but and I think that he, I think that the structure of of this film really really works. Um, so I, you know, no, I, I have no problem with Zalian. The thing about I have to interrupt you just real quick about structure and Zalian. I'll keep it very brief. Yeah. As a reader at Phoenix Pictures, they were making his All the King's Men, which he wrote and directed. Right, right. And which wh- he Marty dropped the other yeah, day. Which a, which a weird thing they would have me do periodically because Mike Medavoy, the producer, likes to be able to visualize and see the structure of a movie. Right. They would have me come in and do these script breakdowns where I'd break it down like scene by scene so they quite literally, instead of looking at screenplay pages, could like look at like scene by scene. And anyway, I had to like... I spent a lot of time where I'm getting very familiar with that particular Zillion screenplay, trying to facilitate Mike Medavoy's approach to kind of seeing the movie at a glance. Right. So I got very familiar with Zillion's use of structure. Right. And so in terms of structure and in terms of writing, you know, and here's an interesting thing, you know, if you're brought onto a movie, like from, you know, from, you know, a book, you know, and you're adapting the movie and then you bring another writer in and you try to get, 
you know, cr- screen credit on being the second screenwriter, you have to change more than 50% of the structure in order to gain a Writers Guild credit, which is part of the reason why Jay Cox doesn't have a credit on The Last Temptation of Christ because all Jay did was change the dialogue. He didn't change any of Paul Schrader's structure. Yeah, another shitty bureaucracy. Right. <laughs> so you can change dialogue all you want. It doesn't matter. Dialogue yeah. isn't considered to be part of the meat of a screenplay. Even though it's the only part of the screenplay that, that actually makes read. it on the screen. Oh, right. Like, it's, <laughs> but so that's why the whole improvisation thing, you know, between Pesci and, 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 and Pacino, you know, you know, really fell into that. And also if you look at the, the history of De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, and the movies that they made with or without Scorsese, they've all been very, um, vocal about how they like to improvise. I mean, if you even look at something like Dog Day Afternoon, which was entirely, supposedly entirely improvised, but they didn't change a bit of Frank Pearson's structure. And when everybody says, well, Frank Pearson, you know, won the Academy Award, it was a deserved Academy Award for, you know, of course it was, but it was all because of the way that the story was structured and the way that it, it was It feels told. incredibly spontaneous. Yeah. And it feels incredibly spontaneous. But also, as actors... These actors go in there and they need to find a way to make this material theirs. And, you know, hey, if, you know, and, and also people, people have this misconception about improvisation. People think that improvisation is you get on set, you go on, you go on camera and you just say whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind. But really improvisation, you know, within a screenplay is, you know, you got the screenplay, you have your material there and you riff on it and anything that's good gets transposed into the shooting script, and that's what you go and you shoot. And Scorsese's been famous for doing that his entire career. You look at all some of the greatest moments of Scorsese's movies, from yeah. Mean Street to All On Up. You Talking to Me was largely improvised. You Talking to Me is all improvisation. All it says in the screenplay is Travis is looking in the mirror. Um, you know The famous scene between Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro and Mean Streets in the back room, that was all improvised. Um, it's like last Tuesday, next Tuesday. Yeah, that's the you think I'm yeah. funny from Goodfellas was an improvisation. Yeah. So I mean, and even but you need great actors. Like if you hire Shia LaBeouf, don't let the fucking retard improvise. Right. But if unless you, you have a great right. director like Martin Scorsese, yeah, who's able to rear you in. I don't know, like if they could pull off the the, the improvisation. A Shia LaBeouf though, yeah. st- even you a great director, really I, yeah. good actors, and then they'll give you something special because they are creative. And then like, but then you look at someone like Marty working with Jack Nicholson on The Departed, and all Jack wanted to do was improvise. And well, specifically that coke scene, uh, the coke scene and the dildo, the dildo (laughs) in the porno theater was an improvisation. And supposedly that was like Marty Jack Nicholson was Marty's biggest headache. Supposedly that all he wanted, but he was great in the final product. No, right? He was. He was. That's why we have Thelma Schoonmaker, who's a brilliant editor, who who we have not talked about yet. She first worked with Scorsese back on Who's That Knocking on My Door in 1967, and she wasn't around during the 70s so much. But she's pretty much edited everything since like the 80s on up. Well, the only reason that Thelma wasn't around between 1968 and 1980. She was there. She's one of Marty's best friends, and she was always a consultant on whatever it was that he did because she had fixed the problem in one of his early student films, and he was like, well, 
you're going to be with me. The problem was Thelma couldn't get into the editor's union and she had to go through all of this rigmarole of like a recurring theme about bureaucracies on this episode and, yeah. and being an apprentice and being an assistant editor and whatever. And all of this was going on. That's why I hate the unions in the film industry because you're not allowed to promote based on merit or just pick the DP or editors you like because they have to go through the apprenticeship. Right. And what's fucked up is that Thelma went through all of this with already having an Academy Award nomination for editing the Woodstock documentary, which won Best Documentary Feature in 1970. So here she is with an Oscar nomination under her belt, and they won't let her into the union, and it took her almost 10 years to get into the union. And when she got into the union, which I had heard her in an interview say that Al Pacino had something to do with helping her get into the union. I don't know well, as exactly we see the Irishman, what. Unions can be, from time to time, a little corrupt. Well, <laughs> for whatever reason, it was him. And I had heard that in passing. I don't know how true that is, and I may be you know, starting a rumor. But regardless of that, that's why she didn't edit anything with him up until Raging Bull. I mean, she's on... She's in like special thanks from all these other movies that he made up up to that point, even as a consultant yeah. on The Last she, Waltz. She's a giant. She's, she's the best. She's the best. All right, well, speaking but, of the depiction of unions in this movie, one thing I found really interesting was how organized crime was basically taking money from the Teamsters Union in order to finance the building of Las Vegas because banks legally were not allowed to invest in casinos. You could call it corruption, or you could just call it like a, you know a good investment. But how they're basically taking all the, um, I guess your pen, like the pension fund, and investing it in all sorts of Ill, borderline illegal activity. But it's like those are really good investments. Like right. <laughs> they, they well, built and then, the city, and then that was also the basis for you know the loan that the Tangiers Hotel got, or the real hotel, which was the Algiers in Las Vegas. That was the basis for casino. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, but it just blows my mind how powerful this union was in terms of how it was using the pension fund. I'm sure the people who were in the union probably like, well, wait a second, I don't know if you want to be investing my pension in fucking casinos. But also the 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 big, I guess, controversial or potentially contested angle of the story is the idea that because JFK and the Bay of Pigs failed to help support to get rid of Castro because the mafia wanted to move into Cuba, build new casinos, basically get a really strong toehold there and make even more money than in Vegas, because JFK had failed to reciprocate on all the money that the organized crime figures that were basically Joseph Kennedy's allies had invested in his campaign. Like, you're clearly failing to show proper appreciation and so the clearly demonstrating to, yeah a failure to show appreciation but according to the perspective of the author of the book upon which this movie is based that played a role in jfk's assassination but jfk i mean not JFK, martin scorsese kind of eased off on that angle just a bit because he didn't want the movie to be admired in controversies and so it's it's suggested it's hinted at but not stated overtly. that's the best thing to do because it's film. like we already have enough JFK thing just on film alone, but just in general. So we don't want that. That would just be a whole other movie. Honestly. Did anybody catch that when De Niro went to go deliver the weapons, he delivered them to a guy named Ferry? And the guy named Ferry, I believe, is based on David Ferry, who Joe Pesci played in JFK. In JFK, the Oliver Stone movie, where he's doing a southern accent and going to like gay orgies and all kinds of crazy. But it's people who haven't seen JFK in a long time. 
will be blo- Tommy Lee Jones and Joe Pesci and Kevin so, Bacon are so fucking weird in that movie. And wait, <laughs> I didn't. That was whoa. Didn't I? I told that whole story, didn't I? Uh, the sixth grade. I don't think so. Man. Oh, late, late on us. I don't know this. I story. watched JFK. So yeah, the ninety one. So it had to be a ninety two, ninety three. When it was finally on HBO, I watched JFK. Like me and my mom, we watched it, and then the, it was on HBO. And then the next day. I went to school. It was over the weekend, so on Monday, certain people were selected every Monday to say like what you did over the weekend. So I, I, it wasn't so much I talked about. I watched JFK. I stood up in class and talked about that scene where they're painted in gold, and I was like, so like Joe Pesci, they're doing, they're throwing cocaine around. They're all like painted in in gold, and then all like I was, and then like I remember looking around at my classmates, were you old and they were all to like, digest what, the hell? what what was going down in the scene? Kinda, but okay. I was more just like what. And then I was like, that's the only thing I talked about. And then my teacher, Mr. Giffords, he was like, so you watch JFK and that's the only thing that, that you got from it. I was like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, I think there's a lot more to JFK than just that one scene. I was like, I know, but it was really weird. They were just like dressed in cocaine and they were doing stuff. I don't know. But it was like, it was a solid five to 10 minutes that I was talking. And I remember at my peripheral looking at my classmates and they were like, what the f-? And I was like, all right, I guess I well, should stop. But yeah. A mix of oh, man. horror and bewilderment. Just totally. No, confused. it was super weird. Yeah. I, was, I mean, I was 11. I was like, wait, what's ha-? I mean, I get what's happening, but why do they have to be dressed in gold to be doing all yeah, this? When little kids see that kind of stuff in movies, they get a little confused. I remember we were watching that slice and lemon movie lock up at one point, And there's this guy getting uh, butt raped in the shower. Yep. And a friend of mine who I was sleep, I was sleeping over at his house. He goes, mom, what's going on? And the mother looked at me, and I kind of looked at her, and she saw that I understood. She was like, Jamie will tell you later. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's fine. I'll, it, I'll, I'll tell Jason. Similar. I had her early, bad boys, the Sean Penton, where they yeah, go yeah. in and, like, uh, the black guy, well, Clancy Brown stands out to watch guard, and the black guy goes in, and then he's like, get off me. What are you? I'm like, Dad, what's going on? He's just like... And at the time, and not 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 too long you didn't before see Marcus's that, face, but my it was dad, classless. my dad worked. My dad was a math teacher at Rikers Island for a couple of years, so he's he's got plenty of stories. So he he, I remember at like six, he explained to me, and then I had more questions. I was like, wait, why would you do that? And he's like, I, I was like, why don't they just beat him up? Like I don't understand. Like I don't get it. And my dad couldn't explain. I I was six, so I couldn't grasp the whole like taking manhood and now you you're like dominant over this person i was just like just beat him up why do you have to do that that's gross i mean like ew like <laughs> i remember gross. thinking yeah exactly he's like well that son that's just what they do and i don't know yeah at the wilkinson so. home for the boys oh man oh no <laughs> all right so more spoilers so what 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 is forbidden to be discussed online right now that y'all want to seek your teeth into that people can can listen to once this podcast is still available in late november because i feel like there are not any ma- – I guess if you're vaguely aware of the history of Hoffa, then there's nothing really super major. Agreed. Like it, it's also – it's hard to spoil long movies. Like yeah. there's so many points of but, like – But the scene where Hoffa does get shot did surprise me the way it was executed. Yeah, yeah. They walk into the room and he's like, let's get right, out of here. Let's get out of here. And it Boom. reminded me a lot of like Joe Pesci being shot in the back of the head of Goodfellas. And as Pacino turns, De Niro – because this whole movie is all about – these really fast, abrupt assassinations—they're not glamorous. They're not beautiful. They're totally, not yeah. Just like walk by, not drive bys, but like walk bys, and they just yeah. Like when I, they shoot Sally, and they're like, "Yeah, that was a bad hit." Because as it turns out, Sally had told somebody about what he's up to, yeah. but it hadn't made like the proper rounds, and right. so he got killed for no reason whatsoever. So it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe stop shooting people so abruptly, because as it turns out, sometimes your information might be incomplete. And who's the actor yeah. who played Sally? Because he was particularly good in this. I've seen him in something else, and I can't. Picture him. Yeah, he's funny yeah. as hell. But he's like yeah. a he's a he's a great addition to the Scorsese stock company. What what's a good example? This is kind of a spoiler of physical acting. Even though it's the camera work is jazzy and they kind of like when you know Robert De Niro kills what's his name crazy whatever 
Crazy Joe Gallo. Why? He's played he's, by a stand-up comedian. Isn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah. Sebastian Mascalo. Sebastian Mascalo. The way you know De Niro has his two guns and he's kind of moved. The camera swirls around and De Niro's got his two guns and he's doing what? Oh, you know, like it's almost not to that extent, but it's similar to like a John Woo movie, just like The Killer, like Chow Yun Fat walking in with his two guns and doing the like. De Niro does a bit of that. I mean, it's cut and edited a certain way, but that whole scene is really, really great and and really good. Yeah, no, and especially the way the camera moves once. Once it, 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 it cuts from being inside to outside and that yeah. pan to the street yeah. right where the car pulls up and he's... Is that the know. flashiest Scorsese signature sequence in the movie? Because it definitely stood out to me while I was watching it. Scorsese is known oh. for these really flashy sequences like De Niro invading the uh, like the brothel no, at the I end think, of Taxi Driver. I, think, yeah. the, I like think that the best visual sequence in the movie and one of, one of Scorsese's best visual sequences in the last... In, in the last decade is um, the barbershop whacking where where there where, where, where you where you see the murder off screen but you know there's this whole there's this whole steady cam shot that winds up on the flowers and it's set to a needle drop of a of a film score which I couldn't I was trying to get press notes I was trying to find out like exactly what movie it yeah, was they handed and, out nothing at the press screen yeah they because yeah, that's why I, that was part of the reason why I had asked you if they had handed you out notes and I was looking for like I almost emailed Robbie Robertson's son to see if he would give me like Robbie Robertson re- he knocked it out of the park how like, about that score it that reminded me a little bit of, of the, the color, color of money. money yeah but it's really, really good. No, no, no. It's good, and it would be it would be really cool to see Robbie get a an Oscar nomination for for that score. He got if, to be in the band. That's better than any. No, no, Oscar. no. I know, but I, but but you know what? Robbie's an unsung hero to the Scorsese cattle score the Scorsese soundtrack situation. He's, How much cocaine have those two guys done together over the years? You know what? A dream project of mine. If anybody's listening and you steal this, fuck you. But if not, and if someone's listening that has the power, it would be a great thing to just have a book or a video or a documentary of the two of them just sitting around talking about the movies that they were listening to, the movies that they were watching while they were stoned, and the music they were listening to while they were yeah, stoned. Late 70s, early 80s, those guys partied well, aggressively. Well, they, they lived together. They were roommates. They lived you know, they lived together for a couple years. But Robert Robinson whites. was a rock star, so I think he could handle a little better. Scorsese nearly fucking died. Yeah, they almost yeah, killed him. It yeah. almost killed him. Yeah. But it, we got Raging Bull out of it. Anyway, yeah. we're digressing. Robbie's score is great. Uh, no, I think that... The barbershop whacking is is probably the most visually arresting thing of the whole movie, and 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 uh, I, I I enjoyed that. And I what about the DP? Because I know the DP shot uh, Wolf of Wall Street and the si- and, and silence. silence. But obviously, people think of Michael Bauhaus with like Goodfellas. People think of like Chapman with like Mean Streets and uh, Taxi well, Chapman Diver. Chapman didn't shoot Mean Streets. Oh, Chapman shot Taxi. Who shot Mean Streets? Uh, someone named Kent Wakeford. Gotcha. Did Chapman shoot Raging Bull? Chapman shot Raging Bull. Gotcha. And well, he shot... he's, he's got certain famous DPs, yeah. but this new guy, I think he's from Mexico. I'm not quite sure what his name is, but what do y'all oh, think? Rodrigo Prieto. Yeah, and what he you... shot Wolf of Wall Street and Silence and this. He was... Uh... What do y'all think of his approach versus someone like... Ba- oh, Robert Richardson who shot Casino. I thought he was great. Like no, it goes back great. to what I was saying. Like shoot, that 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 hit scene, you know, in, in, in the restaurant. And there's some certain... Like when he's in the old folks' home... There's some there's some kind of smooth stuff too where like you go past the door but then you turn around and then you come back to it. There, there's some there's some really cool stuff there. Um, I thought he, I thought it was great. But I find his approach in this to be less flashy than Wolf of Wall Street. Obviously, it's yeah, like a rock concert that, that whole, yeah. and it's a very seductive lifestyle and it's inviting you into this world where you fly in a plane with like a hundred hookers to Vegas and just go fucking berserk. 
the style in this was very subdued and toned down, which I think will catch some people off guard that it's not as like this like bravura kind of attention grabbing style that he's been, that he's exhibited in the past. Yeah. But it's more in line with the movie he made before it. The, the visual style is so in line with Silence, which is another reason why I just feel like, you know, it's the love child of, of Goodfellas and, and, and Silence, even down, to the, even down to the final act. You know, Silence's final act and this final act really take both, takes both movies in a different direction than what you were experiencing in the first two-thirds of the movie. It become, both movies become different movies and the point of both movies are are really illustrated in in the last you know in the last act well he's still clinging to the code of silence and the fbi guys are like they're all dead like everybody you're protecting yeah. they all died yeah. like decades ago <laughs> like your lawyer's dead your friends are dead it's they're like, all dead yeah, he's yeah. The, he's a, a relic of a different era a different time people don't even know who hoffa was anymore yeah so it's like what secrets are you clinging to no, like, but, but like, but Hoffa's exactly. family, so. the generations after, would love to know the truth about what may have. And happened. he's hanging on to pride, just like all the spoilers in the world on Hoffa's part come down to pride. Like, why he won't step down? Why he's like, no, it's my union. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's really and and to some, like, I'm not. Look, if I was in that position, like, oh, fine, I'll step down. But at the same time, I get like when you create something. And even from like an, an attention standpoint, like you just want to be, not not to not to make my second pro wrestling reference in the world. But I it's love like, him. Bring him on. But it's like at the same time, the Undertaker still wrestles from time to time, and it's like he's a multimillionaire. He's got tons of different properties. He's got a family. He's got kids. All like, he's had multiple hip surgeries will he em- will he and biceps. Ever it's like, fight again? What's that? Will he and Brock? No, ever- no, no. They 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 had their three. They had their best of three matches. But he's still he's still fighting, and it's like. He's literally like a robot. To see. He's hell. It's it's like duct tape and and glue is is holding him together. And it's like, why are you still wrestling? Like you could die. Like you could have super. You already have permanent in- injuries. But it's just like it's that roar of the crowd. Like when you come outside, it's like he was some you know under t- or Mark Callis rather was a nobody in you know the the mid 80s and then vince mcmahon's like you're gonna play this dead man character and then for over third three decades he steps outside that doom that music hits and he's just like the crowd pops and that's all these wrestlers who are way past their prime will tell you it's just like when you get that pop from the crowd it's like that that that's really what, what it's about yeah, Vince man told hulk hogan decades ago they could bring you out in a wheelchair skeletal dead almost and they'll yeah. still go berserk just because it's you kevin nash said it in his own words he can barely walk uh although he's better now he's i follow him on twitter he he works out a lot and he's doing good but there was this period where kevin nash could barely walk you know he's like 611 and his knee he has knee problems but he's just like i got a home in vegas i got a home in florida everything i could stop right now but there's that that pop of the crowd when you know i you come out with the nwo it's just i just can't explain it it's like i i get it I don't understand it, but at the same time, I also get it. So I think that, that you know, it's a big part of uh, Jimmy Hoffa's whole thing, like his stubbornness, just that, and specifically that male stubbornness too. That's like did y'all find Pacino really Pacino's accent to be inconsistent? Because apparently he walked around the set listening to Jimmy Hoffa's voice at all times. But did he? Oh, okay. Yeah, he was right. he was really invested. But he was a kid when Jimmy Hoffa was huge. Sure, sure. And so he really remembers him very clearly. 
Sure. Even if like for the rest of us, it's like, oh, it's Jack Nicholson's movie yeah. from like, you know, you know it's interesting. Which is a really great that. movie. I want to go back and rewatch. I haven't watched that movie since like junior high. No, no, no. I, I don't think I I'm going to. I've seen that movie a number of times and that is actually. Does Danny DeVito play the Joe Pesci part? No, no, no. Danny, no, Danny DeVito plays a mixture. He's an invented character. Composite. Yeah. Um, but I will say that that that's a movie that I've always been a, a really big fan of. And if anybody needs a, if you need a crash course on Hoffa, that's a good one to watch. Mm-hmm. Also, shout out to Bill Tech, who loves Stallone and Fist, which is also a very Hoffa-centric type of movie. Um, but yeah, if you need a crash course on Hoffa... That's a really, really good movie. I think it's an underrated performance by Jack Nicholson. And also, probably Danny DeVito's best directorial effort. There's some really good moments in that movie. So if you need a crash course, that's a good that's a good basis to go into. I, I mean, though, I think this that... this from YouTube. Yeah. Though, I think that, there's, you know, when when Hoffa appears, I, wanna, I don't even know the minute mark, but I would say it's within the first 90 minutes that you don't see... Hoffa, right? You would yeah, say you have it's that about great phone minutes. call when he finally gets on, and it, but it's like, oh, I forgot Pacino's in this movie. Like, yeah. holy shit! <laughs> and like, yeah, because the movie's really good up to the point, right. and then suddenly yeah. Pacino, are like, it's hi, like, this is Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, it's like Orson Welles showing up in third band. Like, oh shit, I forgot that like Orson Welles is in this fucking movie too. Yeah, it's not just all these other great people. And then even and then when Pacino comes, when when Pacino gives that first speech when we first meet him, the movie becomes. A really good movie to a great movie. It it almost elevates it, it elevates the energy. Without a, he's he's on fire in this. Yeah, he's he's he is, he's he totally on fire in this. And all right, well, just as a way of starting to wrap things up a little bit. Lately, we've seen a lot of directors in their seventies, kind of like almost like how wrestlers keep going. We've seen a lot of filmmakers in their seventies continue to do good work, like Paul Verhoeven with L or George Miller with Mad Max Fury Road. Or fucking Alejandro Jodorowsky is nearly ninety, still still cranking out. Even flicks. TV, David Lynch did that monstrous, you know, yeah, season Twin Peaks. Return, yeah, you know? in, in his seventies, and here we have Scorsese in his seventies. Claire Denis did, uh, you know, highlight. Claire Denis in her seventies. Yeah, she highlights did one of her one of her big movies. I guess are we entering a stage where perhaps the movie business is no longer as discriminatory towards the the very old, or is it both one of those things where? If you have a track record or ability that just gives you leverage and allows you to keep going, because obviously Scorsese's got leverage at this I, point. I think in a certain pocket. I think to some degree, yeah. I think you know, damn, it's hard to explain. Okay, I think in a pocket, yeah, because I, I think when filmmaker, every filmmaker that you and I have both just made, like when they want to get in their lane, and Michael Mann needs that so. '70s movie as well. He needs to have that great late '70s flick. Oh. I'm trying my best. Let's not make this a five-hour podcast. I'll just, I'll just. But yes, I agree. He need. I. There, there's a lot of things things that need that that that. that Michael Mann should call fucking happen. Netflix and say, let's 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 fuck, let's do something. I agree, I agree. But I, I just worry that his last few efforts. It's like, Kenny, does he have the clout that he? He'll always be Michael Mann, but he's not Michael Mann. You know, post heat yeah. like. Not even insider. Uh, he was insider. like Ali, like like early two thousands. He was still the, no. collateral. He was the fucking. No, man. His it's, last like lost. It's, it's post collateral. It's yeah. like the last fifteen years. Even with luck, like just the fucking like horses that dying. That was bad and luck, shit. Like, though. That wasn't yeah. his fault. That had no, 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 but and but even but like every person I talked to about Public Enemies would be like, oh yeah, that movie. Even me, I love Michael Mann, and I'm totally. Oh, oh yeah, forget, I forget Public it. Enemies. I forget it exists. Yeah, which is unacceptable because yeah. there's so many. Just yeah, but um. I, I, I think it's always going to be a 
not completely young, but like a younger person's game. But I think when a filmmaker wants to reclaim their throne, I, th- I think it. I think it's still you know like like Scorsese with the Irishman. No one else can make the Irishman or. Um, who are seeing the other 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 like I like, wish like, De Palma like would have P, that you know? moment. Like De Palma hasn't had a. He's great still trying. You know, he's trying. Yeah, but look he, the, the the remake of um jeez, what's that French film he made in 2013? Passion. Uh, Passion. Um, oh, that's got some hot scenes. That but that look I stand if anyone's if you want to go to the Pink Smoke and read my there my, are my scenes nice where I, lengthy ooh, that's re- De Palma. review. Yeah, Ver, but like super De Palma and I yeah. love it. So Passion it, it's a side. I give that movie a solid B, and there's nothing wrong, wrong, wrong with a B. I don't mean that in like a page. Like, who am I to give Brian De Palma a grade? But I'm just saying, a lot of people have given that movie a D, and it is not a D movie. It's well worth watching, very watchable. But not not to keep repeating myself, I just think when it comes to when a director like George Miller doing Mad Max or David Lynch wanting to come back and do Twin Peaks, when it's just like, hey, I'm back, I want to reclaim my throne. I think it's, I think it's, it's not discriminatory. I, 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 I don't think so. What do you think? Spike Lee with Black Clint. He's not exactly yeah. 70, but he'll, you know, he's in his 60s, so, you yeah. know. You mentioned Spike Lee. Did you happen to see Spike Lee's Instagram post after um, the opening night of New York Film Festival? No, what? He. Don't tell what? me it's about Nate Parker or anything, is it? No, no, no. Oh. It's about <laughs> Marty. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Why would I want to talk about Nate Parker on this? Because Spike Lee is like no, his boy. No, Spike, sorry, but go ahead. But Spike go ahead, and but Marty go ahead, worked on ahead. Clockers together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, and. and that was going to be a completely different movie. Yeah. It was going to be De Niro was going to be Harvey Keitel's part. Uh, Scorsese was going to direct it. But yeah, that was going to be well, a Well, the thing about movie. this, and, 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 and it was going to be a totally different movie because, like the book, Clockers is told from the point of view of Rocco Klein yeah. as opposed to Strike, whereas Spike was like, well, I'm going to turn this on its ear and I want to make it about Strike. Um, no, no. So Spike Lee was at the premiere at the New York Film Festival at the 8 o'clock show that Harvey Keitel actually showed up at, but wasn't at mine. But regardless of that, uh, Spike Lee's very uh, famous and vocal about getting autographs of people with his memorabilia. And he had a picture of himself with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Martin Scorsese backstage like 20 years ago at either like Lincoln Center or something, but it's a picture of all of them laughing. And Spike brought it to the after party of you know the, the opening night premiere and had each one of them sign it, and then he added his signature to it too, and he nicknamed the... He, he named the picture Three Greed... He named the picture Three Guidos and a Mooley. And I just think that it's really funny. Oh, wow. Funny. That's funny. That's <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome. So you should share that. That's funny. Um, yeah, I know you want to wrap up. Yeah. But there's a few things that I, I oh, still, still want to no, get off my I, chest. I, I'm just aware of the fact that y'all have... I've got a, no, a screening I, I, at 10, but I know it's a school night for, and y'all what have... What are you going to see at 10 o'clock? Yeah. What are you going to say? What's up? What are, what's your screening? What are you going to say? A Parasite. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Awesome movie. Anyway, um, I just want to say a couple things about about De Niro and his performance in this movie. Um, <laughs> Marcus is like, I was trying to get to bed by. No, no. Listen, he wants to go to sleep. He can <laughs> no, leave. I'll no, see no, the door. No, no. Have a good night, man. We won't pay the cab. Home. No, it's no, fine. it's not that. <laughs> um, no, I just, I, I just want to address a couple things, and I'll be very brief about it. One. Robert De Niro's performance in this movie, it's probably it's his best performance in Silver Linings Playbook, and if you don't have Silver Linings Playbook in the mix, it's probably his best performance in 20 years. I agree. Um, and a lot of that is in part two. This is the first time in a really, really, really long time that you've seen Robert De Niro act with his eyes. 
Robert De Niro is the, has always been the greatest actor of his Even generation. Even when the de-aging might make it hard to see his eyes. Like, cause, well, right. Yeah. Well, but I... But, listen, when he's in that car with... When, when they go to pick up Hoffa from the Red Fox and you could see it in his eyes that he knows that... The emotion's there. The yeah. emotion is there. Yeah. And then when he has to have that phone call... And he reaches over and kind of hugs him. Yes. Yeah. And when he has to have that phone call with Joe Hoffa... And he has that performance sitting on the bed, and you could just see all the anguish in his face, and he just doesn't know what to say, and you could see all yeah. that guilt. I mean, for me, he he won the Oscar right there. It, it really it took me back to a time where Robert De Niro really was working at at the height of his powers in the '80s and in the '90s, and it really just took me back to to the De Niro that. That always moved me, and it's also this nervous, just like the intern era. <laughs> I like the intern. He I wants will to like, the intern, but like he wants to get off the phone too. He's like, yeah, okay, no, sure, okay, yeah, 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 okay. okay. It's like he wants to check on him, but it's like he just want, can we just end this? Con- con- yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's a really great, you know. But uh, I, but I think, and and then all the way through the end of the movie, and what what is the real end of the movie? Those eyes are just it. The other part, the other moment in the movie that I was really tremendously moved by was the end with the last time you see Joe Pesci. Oh, man. And oh, when, my God. And when yeah. Joe Pesci yeah. said, I chose us, I, I just, it, it was, it's, it's, it's moments like that that just make um, being a film lover, being a Scorsese lover, being an audience member, being whatever. Because it's what a, I live for. Because that's a callback to the scene. I know I keep bringing Harvey Keitel, but that's a callback to the scene way early on in the movie where, you know, De Niro does something he wasn't supposed to, right. but he didn't know. And then, you know, Harvey Keitel's like, you got a really good friend here. He's like, I was like, no, no, you don't know. And then if you know, two times the camera cuts to Joe Pesci and he's looking at Robert De Niro just like, it's a combination. Like D- Joe Pesci's face is like, I love you. You also have no idea what I've just done, done, done for you. There's this like, it's just a combination of that look on, on his face and, the, and cuts to his face twice where Joe Pesci is just like, you yeah, know, yeah. yeah. But how yeah. criminal is it that an actor as good as he is hasn't been utilized on a regular basis over the last like 10 years? You're talking about Joe Pesci? Yeah. Like, well, that's his choice. Well, Joe, I, well, that's, that, his well that's his choice. It kills my soul. I can imagine the things he's turned down. a performance as good as this. And he hasn't been sharing that talent. Because he doesn't have to. But also, he had the nerve to do Love Ranch. Of all the shit he had to to a feature-length film, he had to come back and do. He did a movie like Love Ranch. I can't imagine the scripts that he's turned down. Because, again, this was his... You know, I want to take a break from acting, but it's like, you come back for this? You know what I mean? Speaking of that, that ties into... Watching this movie made me wish Righteous Kill didn't exist. Because then you'd have Heat, Godfather 2, and this. But it's like Righteous Kill is that fucking... It's going to be that pebble in the shoe. I'll never Turk forget Turk and Rooster. Walking. I'll never forget What names walking. are those? For I'll a, never like, forget Jesus. walking out of the Astoria Kaufman movie theater that night. And everybody was like, man, Robert De Niro was terrible in that movie. And Tony Montana sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I'm not going to say something racist, but it sounds as if you might be suggesting something about it. Was, it was, no, it was dumb white kids in Whoa, really? Astoria. Yes, I was thinking what James was thinking. No, because 50 Cent was like the big draw at that time to that movie. That's what, yeah, Oh, no, I told, no, no, I was no, on, no, I'm on James' well, totally, totally, totally white thought, thug. Because for years, wannabes. every episode of oh, Cribs. Oh, well, close enough. But for years, every episode of Cribs was, oh, here's my Tony Montana. Scarfit. Like, window blinds. Here's my Tony Montana hot tubs. My Tony Montana right. bedspread. But Dave, Dave Chappelle on the skit, the Megan the Band skit, he was like, if I had it my way, 
I would watch Scarface 40 fucking times a day. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. And and you know what? And and as much as you and I love Harvey and as much as we're disappointed in a way that Harvey's not a bigger part of this movie. He's still in it. It's, and he's still in it, he's but there. he's but he's also one of the only 3 that have that ring. Only three of us have that oh, ring, and one of them is that's Irish. And true. to me, that's significant. That's it's true. significant, you know, to the fact, yeah, that Harvey is the OG. He's the, you know, he's sure. he was there from the beginning. And, and he I'm, shows up at, you know, De Niro's uh, the the celebration they have for uh, for Frank. He, he shows well, up. No, he doesn't have any lines. And, and De Niro still, you know? is always throwing Harvey a bone. He's in Little Fockers. He's also in the comedian, and there's actually a really great scene. Oh, what's in, the the San Pedro? What was that weird ass movie they oh, did? Oh, the Bridge of San Luis Rey. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. in that too. He's also in Falling in Love. So I mean, De Niro has always thrown Kaitel yeah, the bone. Sure, sure. De Niro's also always thrown guys like Barry Primus a bone, who appears very briefly in this movie, but he you know produced but a movie like. It Mistress. hurts my heart hearing that because I've I like Kaitel more than De Niro. Well, I'm kind of. Uh, I mean, in terms of, I, I love mean, my favorite actor. Yeah. He's my no, favorite. He's one of my actor, favorite so. actors yeah. too. And but yeah. I feel like it's a shame that two guys who are so good, where just by the realities of like market forces, one is in a position where he gets to kind of throw the leftovers to his friend. But you know what, Kaitel had a renaissance in the early '90s, he did. where where he yeah, not, never did Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, right. But and, then there's something like once that early 2000s hit. Maybe the mid two thousands. It seemed like Harvey Keitel was just doing anything, and it wasn't and as bad. Nothing. It wasn't as bad as post post apocalypse now through the eighties, because even recently, you know, Wes Anderson, him and Harvey Keitel have had a relationship, so he still shows up in in, in good stuff. But I'm just saying, I think Harvey Keitel has had some 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 more misses than 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 De Niro. He just isn't getting. Just, o- yeah. But he but the, but these guys aren't getting offered. The right movies. Well, Kaitel's like what eighty two. I mean, he's he's old. Close, no, no, Kaitel's so eighty. Yeah, Kaitel's yeah. yeah. yeah, the yeah. oldest. Nineteen thirty nine. Yeah, he'd be eighty. So Kaitel's yeah. the oldest. It's yeah. Pacino, and then Scorsese will be seventy like seven yeah. in November, and De Niro will be seventy seven. I think the following August. So you know, but yeah, I mean, listen, we're lucky that we've even had them this long. That yeah. the, I think that's the best way to look at the Irishman is that we are so lucky that they all are alive, that they're all still creative, and they all still have so much to offer, and they were so invested in this, and every single person involved did the best job they possibly could. Nobody seems to be phoning it in. Nobody seems to be sleepwalking through it. Not here. No hell they, no. They all showed up and were like, you know what? We're on the verge of death, but we're going to show you guys. How real How filmmakers done. do it. And so for me, it's just it's a triumph of the old guard just kicking all kinds of ass. And it is just it's so inspiring. Especially for a movie that had everything going against it. Well, nobody uh, would make it. <laughs> another thing before we... I, I do, because I just need to go on record to say... Another, that the thing that made me laugh the most in that movie, it's, an, it's a little moment when uh, Pro is getting arrested and he pretends to run away. From the feds, like when he's handcuffed. Um, mm. I know this is out of order, but that, but that was like my favorite little. I mean, he's gr- Stephen Graham is really good. You know what? Movie. I'll go on record and say that I would love to see Stephen Graham get nominated for this. I don't think it'll. Happen, I don't think it'll happen, but I wouldn't be but, mad at but it. But you know what? If you look back to the Oscars in 1974, when The Godfather Part Two was nominated, Robert De Niro and Lee Strasberg and Michael Vigazzo were all nominated. Yeah. And you know what? That Stephen Graham character is Tony Pro. 
is one of those kind of performances that I think if enough people pay attention to, I agree, it would be a sure. He's going to be a lot nomination. of people's favorite part of the movie, and yeah, I think absolutely. it's going to be a surprise absolutely. nomination. But I, I, people should start I hope it'll him. be Joe Pesci's night. He, yeah, yes, and but but for the win though, yeah, I can't think. I mean, I've I've I always do my big end of the year thing, but as far like this movie, just like upset everything and took like all the performance that I was keeping track of supporting lead like it just messed everything how up great in a good that? way in a good no, way but how great is that to, to think way. that here we are you know Goodfellas is going to celebrate its 30th anniversary next year here yeah. we are talking about these guys still and we're going to give Joe Pesci his second supporting actor Oscar though I wouldn't be mad if Al Pacino beat him I don't think I. I don't he has th- enough lines in screen time. He could be nominated for best actor, though. For, for, yeah, no, 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 no. no right. But they're going to put him in supporting because yeah, they they're going to give they De Niro are. actor. They they're going to put De Niro in actor. They certainly. You are. know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm so for either one of them to win. Uh, you know, there, and there's that theory that it might, you know, cancel out, and then they give it to Brad Pitt for Cliff Booth. I don't see that. Happening I'd love to see Brad. I would love to see him win it too. But I prefer Joe Pesci. I prefer Joe Pesci. But at this point, I just don't see that happening. Uh, we can I'd go. say I Brad Pitt him. get nominated for best actor. That's not going to happen. The movie's going to the move. That movie is 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 gone. It's not even being buzzed anymore. People don't even aren't even going to remember it. Yeah, but that that doesn't necessarily always matter you, with well, right, uh, but, the Oscars. But, but look, though, but look at the best actor race already. It's crowded. Robert De Niro, Jonathan Price for the two popes. Uh, you know, there's there's just going to be a, a bunch of other things that Antonio Banderas is a surefire nomination. If he doesn't get nominated, that's fucked up. Well, well I'm not going to get worked well. up about it because but either way, because I'm not going to watch the Oscars because last year I skipped it and I had so much fun not watching it and not doing? getting wrapped up. Anything. I would rather look at a wall because I hate the pressure that's placed on people to get up to speed and see all the nominees. I'd rather just watch the movies that I'm interested in watching and follow my passions and sure. I have much more fun. No, absolutely. It's just going to be interesting now to be yeah. to be watching be, yeah. this and seeing. I will read the headlines the next day while I wake up. Like, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so won, but I'm not going to watch it. I just this want show. it to be something that like even, even to this day, Even if I throw an Oscar I party, you're not going to come? Yeah. I throw an Oscar party. Oh, we should do. Come. We should do exactly. that before. We should unless do I will come, unless there's something really cool that I want to review, like a great show, or because I think yeah. actually there was a show this year. I think it was True Detective. I think I was reviewing True Detective, which was getting me great traffic. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'd rather get traffic than watch this stupid show where everybody talks down to the audience." We'll throw a party. Yeah, Let's oh, that'd be fun. Tam would totally. No, do no, that. no, totally. Yeah, awesome. Right. Well, it is time to start wrapping this up. So, Mr. Penn, where can people find your podcast? Where can they hear your hundredth episode? Where can people find you on social media, etc.? Uh, zebras in America. Uh, we're on. We were at Zebras Pod on Twitter. Uh, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all that stuff. Uh, and then my own film site. Uh, I, I, I let all my Toronto reviews kind of sit for a while, but we're getting into a new month, so I've got a bunch of cool stuff planned. By the time this podcast comes out, my part two of the connection between uh, Shanta Ackerman and early, early Richard Linklater will be up. And then shortly after that, I'm, I've been sitting on it for a long time, but I'll finally post my review of the souvenir. Um, and I got some other stuff for, for October as well. So PinlandEmpire.com, at Pinland underscore Empire. And I am only on Twitter, at Rob Cotto, at R-O-B-C-O-T-T-O. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back. I just crossed 500 followers. Very nice. I think nice. last time you were complaining about being like a 100, so clearly you've had a bump. There you go. I'm still complaining about being at 500. There's certain people on there that have hundreds of thousands of followers, or even like tens of thousands of followers <laughs> that I'm just like, 
How do you have tens of thousands of followers? Paid for and then, it, well, right. And then it's funny. There's some. There's there's a guy who I've discussed with Marcus, who I will not discuss on this podcast. God forbid he listens. Who I saw at the New York Film Festival. <laughs> just like be like, I hate your page. It's awful. But I won't. I won't. I won't do that to this guy. That's what drives the internet is basically just hate and disdain for yeah. Uh, no, there's for, certain for your there's fellow a human certain beings. there's a certain Twitter feed. That I do not like, and I roll my eyes at every time. I actually unfollowed this person, and then I spotted him at the New York Film Festival, and I almost wanted to be like, I hate your page. I unfollowed you. Well, I, had a, I had a really weird thing happen to me recently where, just out of curiosity, I, w- I will occasionally read the odd article on the Mary Sue because I just assume it's going to like drive me crazy. But there's this one person on the Mary Sue, who I won't mention my name, who's been writing all these amazing articles where recently I'm like, holy shit. I fucking agree with everything you said. Like, this is how is the Mary Sue writing content for me that I enjoy? But then I went to her Twitter feed, and she was the most obnoxious human being that ever lived. Pick and fight. I was like, God damn! Like, I was about to follow you and start reading all your shit. But like, her persona as a writer is totally different from her Twitter provocateur persona, and it it, it made me sad. Holy shit! Before I forget, yeah, that reminds me. A couple. So, I don't know about once a day, but. Five to six times since my my time in Toronto, I definitely there were a couple of wrong when I was at Color of Color Out of Space, which uh, I'm dying to see. Richard Stanley, I love. It's, it's a slow burn. If you make it past the first forty minutes, you'll you'll it everything you'll get everything that you've wanted. But I sat on the end, and then I and then I got there early, and people kept having to go in. So I just finally I just stood outside my seat and just waited for the the seat and then like i was just standing there and then some guy was like hey you marcus penn and i was like yeah he's like oh yeah i, I read the pink smoke i listen to wrong reel uh blah blah, blah. very and then cool another, and then Who another was uh oh, i don't remember his name he I, I i forgot his name and then another wrong reel person um where was i oh, i was at the tiff bell light box and i started talking to cribs i was talking <laughs> someone heard someone voice. recognized my voice and just like, yeah, so that's awesome folks, that's very th- cool. folks folks know wrong reel in internationally so, it's yeah. like a superhero names like Reed Richards or Peter Parker. It's all <laughs> right, that, it's right. like that double right. sound. Because hey, at any time that happens since 2016, but it's not. I guess now maybe for Pinland Empire, but before it was either Pink Smoke or Wrong Real, where someone would say my real name in another country, and I'm just like, what? How do you know my name? And it's just like, oh right, yeah, fair enough. Well, things so, when you ran yeah. into Jer, Jer at Jer at the movies for the first time, trying to a couple at, of at years ago. At the screening ago. of Patterson, me yeah. and Cribs, yeah, he just ran up on us. I'm and like, Jer oh, and I went yeah. out to lunch at the Mexican joint across the street uh, a couple nice. weeks ago. So yeah, we had a fine time. But he's been watching. He's been gorging himself on movies at the Toronto Film Festival. He was. He went. I think he saw over forty movies. That's so wow. that's insane. So many yeah. movies. I mean, that's what I when I was in my late twenty. When I was in my twenties, I used to do it. But now. I don't see more than 21, 22 movies when I go to. It's too much. Oh yeah, it's too much. Because twenties. But when yeah, but when if you got the energy, go for it. Get your money's worth. I just love that since my appearance is on Wrong Reel, it's public knowledge that everybody knows that I hate Alex Ross. (laughs) (laughs) There. Like people, someone commented on, on and I, I'm sure I mentioned this before, but someone commented on Bill Scurry's uh, Facebook page that. You know, whenever I hear Alex Ross Perry, I just think about that guy that was on Wrong Reel hating on Alex Ross if Perry. If people want to hear the story, it's on our New York Film Festival episode 
from 2018. Wow, last year. I don't, I don't know the, the episode number. But, but it was in up, like December, wasn't it? It wasn't no, like no, no, later no, on. No, yeah, if you just look up Wrong Real New yeah, York Festival. Oh, that, that was our end of the year. Yeah, look up Wrong Real yeah, New York right, Film right, Festival. Right, right, right. And there are, I think there are only two episodes of that name. We just picked the later one. You'll hear Rob Cotto and Marcus Penn go for about 45 minutes about this fascinating thing. It's not that long. About, it's one of my favorite Wrong Real yeah. moments in the history of the podcast. So <laughs> I, I loved it. In any event, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Please remember to rate the podcast, subscribe, all that good stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Colbrax and check out my YouTube channel, Geeking with James Hancock, where I recently crossed uh, 17,000 subscribers. So nice. if, That's if, awesome. you, if you watch the watch the channel, thank you so much. Also, if you want to drink coffee like a champ and look like a total film nerd, buy some wrong real gear. There is a link in the show notes below. But thanks again for listening. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on The Irishman. But as always, more importantly than anything, Onwards and upwards. Ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow.